before we get started, I want to introduce you to today's sponsor. It's Three String Bass. Three String Bass because three is all you need. Why play four string bass if you only have to play three? Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear QA Live podcast number 211. First, uh, we have Edgar. Edgar says, hey Phil, would it be worth it to change the neck on my new Fender player for another Fender neck with rosewood fretboard? Okay, so in other words, what they have is they have a Made in Mexico Players Stratocaster with a maple fretboard on their neck. They want a rosewood one and they want to know if it's uh, worth replacing it. He says, I got the guitar for $575 and the neck for $465. Got the guitar on sale for $575. The neck is $465. Is it $465 now? I'm having a... I'm, hold on. I gotta have... <laughs> I'm getting a little old. <laughs> the, the heart's a little weak. Is it $465 now for a Fender aftermarket neck? Weren't they $250? I gotta look this up, buddy. I'm sorry. Okay. We gotta look at this. Fender... Fender, you may be talking about putting a U.S. neck on the player's strat. Okay, Fender, uh, replacement neck, replacement neck. I'm sure some of you guys are commenting, but I'm sorry, I'm looking on the inter interwebs real quick because I have to know, otherwise this will haunt me the whole show. Yes, $249.99. Okay, so if you're looking at a Fender neck that is $465, what you want to do is you want to put a made-in-USA neck on that guitar. Uh, yeah, do that. Here's what I would do. If it was, if I was in your position, I would definitely do that. Why not? I mean, I'm not saying there's a big difference between those two necks or that you're even going to get some kind of really huge tangible value out of that. But, you know, it's cool. It's an American-made neck. You know, there's some prestige to that. <sighs> Little Made in USA on the front. Actually, no, they don't even say Made in USA anymore. See? I don't even know what I'm talking about. They say Corona, California. Um, Fender no longer puts Made in USA on the necks on their Made in USA guitars. They only put Corona, California. Not Made in Corona, California, just Corona, California. Um, and there's a bunch of reasons for that, if you guys don't know. California passed some really crazy, crazy being intensely different laws. <laughs> Notice how I politically shifted on that, so I didn't go down that road. Anyways, uh, California put some really uh, stringent laws on, on the books that basically uh, makes it really tough for a company to say made in USA. So they're going to use terminology like assembled in the USA if it's not 100% made in USA. Now, my understanding, again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not versed in California law. I'm just what I read in articles that are uh, relevant to our industry is that um, they've kind of pulled back the reins on that, on those laws. And so therefore it's not so tight as it was originally, they backed off. But even being so, I think companies like Fender just said, screw this, we're not gonna just keep messing with it. So I think they decided to put Corona California. So that uh, makes it legally okay for them to do that. I say that so you know, there's no, the, the neck is made in the USA. <laughs> okay, don't start any rumors. Like they're really made in Mexico necks or Korea and they shipped them to the US. I, I've been to the factory so many times. They were making the necks there. They're still making the necks there. But back to Edgar's issue. Edgar, this is what I would do. I would buy, if you're going to buy the $465, the USA neck, which I thought were $450, but I understand, inflation. Um, keep the box, stick the main Mexico one in there. I would choose a time frame. In other words, like six months, a year, two months, whatever you're feel comfortable with, where you're like, I love this guitar. I love this new neck. This is the guitar for me. And then maybe at that time, I'd sell off the main Mexico neck. Otherwise, I'd keep that neck. And then that way, if you ever sell off the guitar, put the made in Mexico neck back on it. And then, you know, then you have American neck to put on another guitar. 
that's that's what I would do. So yeah, that's my that's so to answer your question, would I do that? I don't know if I would do that, but that's how I would do it if I were to do it. So all right, guys, guitar covers says, hey Phil, what's my opinion? He wants to know what my opinion is on the Orange Crush. 120, the 120 watt crush solid state amp. Is it really one of the best solid state uh, state amps out there? Yeah, you know, uh, never occurred to me to do a five of the best solid state amps video. You know, I do a lot of five things videos, but maybe that would be a good video. If I was going to do like my favorite top 10 and rate them, maybe I might do that video now. Sometimes, sometimes these shows actually create a, a an idea for a video. I think it'd be fun, right? What's my top favorite or the best, in my opinion, best 10 best solid state amps on the market? Not class D, right? Just solid state amps. Uh, again, to kind of demonstrate that a Mustang amp from Fender would be like a class D amp and a, uh, which is digital, digital type amplifier where the Katana is a solid state amp. I would put the Crush, the CR120 in that top 10 list for me personally. I would do that. So yeah, to answer your question. So your answer was, what's my opinion on it? I would put in my top 10 solid state amp lists that are current in the market now. You know what I mean? And then I like other ones, just to throw some shout outs, what I would throw out there. Other ones I think, obviously like the Jazz Chorus from Roland Jazz Chorus is a classic, great solid state amp. I love that amp too. I, I've said this before. I love this uh, quote. I'm quoting myself, but I love this quote uh, that I said one time on a show. I said, look, I, I like good amplifiers. I like Good, good quality amplifiers. I like good amps and just so happens to be most of those amps happen to be tube, but I, nothing in my brain says an amp has to be tube. Like I don't have like a only tube amps are good. Only solids amp are good. Only class D amps are good or vice versa. I have this. I just like good amps. And then ironically, uh, when I look at all the amps I have, the majority of them are tube. And But every once in a while, there's a solid state or a digital amp that just like, that's all I like this. It's, it does its thing really, really well. And uh, that's how that goes. So like I said, I don't have a, um, you know, I w- I n- I've never, I don't, no, I'll say never. I got 210 shows somewhere, or 200, actually, I think 30 if you look off here on the podcast itself, um, but on iTunes. But anyways, I, I don't really, like, like I said, I don't really lean towards one technology over the others as, you know, if this is tube, it's good is what I'm trying to say. I don't blankly just say because the technology is being used in the amp, it's good. I, there's a fair share of crappy everything out there and good everything. Um, so next question. This is all before the show started question, so you guys know what I'm hitting right now. Uh, I'm hitting Alan. Alan Sam's music. Alan Sam's, thank you so much, man. He's a patron and he's a, a, a loyal viewer. Thank you so much. He says, hey, Phil, have you... Ha- oh, he's not asking me. He's telling me. He says, Phil, I have the new... Uh, uh, SBMM CT50 SHSS. So, uh, the Sterling Ball, Sterling uh, by Music Man. So, he has a Sterling by Music Man. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a text from my daughter. LFLOL, you know, right? Like a lot of letters there. But, anyways, uh, Sterling by Music Man, uh, CT50 HSS. Great guitar, but the tremolo is really tight even after I adjust the springs. Is it okay to remove one of the springs? Uh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I have that guitar. I have that review coming. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead. Do I have the question? There's a question about my next review. So I'll tie it into that question, okay? So I won't jump on that, Alan. Let me just address your particular question. When it comes to tremolo springs and bridges, there are no rules that I've found that are you have to do, okay? So can you use two springs? Yeah, you can use three, can you use five, you can use four. You can use whatever you like. Um, 
But one thing I always remind people is that not all springs are created equal. And that's one of the things that you have to remember. Sure, if you go from three to two, will that uh, work? You know, given that you, ha you know, you tighten the claw down so you get enough tension to keep the bridge either against the body or equalized. Sure, but don't, uh, don't forget that the type of material the spring is made out of does change the way that feels, right? And so a lot of manufacturers, of course, you know, it's, remember, they focus on what we see and not what we don't. So the paint job is shiny and the tuning keys are fancy and the nut has cut right. I mean, they're not getting dumb, man. Manufacturers, if a, if a, if a manufacturer had half a brain, they would watch all these YouTube videos out there where all these nerds are just picking apart all these guitars and go, okay, this is what they're looking at, so this is what we'll focus on, and then it will pass, right? It'll pass great, because we're not looking at everything. So one of the things I would definitely consider is that not only can you remove a spring, very easy, very cheap, do that, but also if it still don't get the desired result, don't be afraid to purchase some new springs. I tend to gravitate towards uh, the springs you can get on FU Tone. Those are good springs, uh, look at those. Or the Fender springs that I like that are black. I don't know what they're made of, they're painted black. <laughs> but they're great. I use them on all kinds of guitars. I don't know what it is. Fender just has, I like those way those feel. Um, and I would have never, I never would have kind of figured that out. But then I had a, I say crazy a lot, I feel bad. I don't, odd, interesting. <laughs> customer. Uh, so I'll say crazy because I don't think he'll mind. I have cra I have a crazy customer, I should say, not had. But anyways, he's a great guy, but he's got some weird idiosyncrasies about his theories about things that used to be the way they are and the way they are now. And one of the things he was telling me was they don't make springs the same way they used to. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> this is years ago. This must be 15 years ago. And he's like, you don't understand, Phil, the springs are different. They've changed like a, like swing the greenest people. It's like the springs are different, Phil. And that's why it feels different. And then one day, I don't know what possessed me to do this. I pulled out some springs, three springs out of a 80s, late 80s era Kramer guitar and stuck them in a new guitar that was having the problem that that uh, that Alan's talking about where it was really stiff and I just put them in remember I didn't change the claw I didn't change the distance I mean I didn't change anything and all of a sudden the, the bridges felt great and I was like oh well maybe because they're broken in that changes things that, right a little broken in the field but that could be the part uh, part of it but also I think he has a little to it they're just different materials different feeling to the stretch of it feel like we've talked a long time about springs, but I think we get to the point. So the point is it's experiment. There's a couple things like springs I like to tell you guys over and over again. Such a cheap thing that can give you such a great experience of mess. You know, what is what is 20 bucks in the grand scheme of a, having a weekend of playing with your guitar and in, learning more about it, enjoying it? So, uh, Alan, I would, uh, I would do that. Not only mess with the springs and take them in and out, but also look online and maybe invest in some other springs. I have drawers full of them downstairs and... Uh, I, I am never shocked to this day when a customer is, you know, saying something to me and I just start popping out some springs and hand it back to them. And they're like, this is it. And I go, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just got to mess with the different tensions. Uh, next question comes from Dale. Dale says, hey, Phil, I'm a, I'm a couple of my guitars on the, oh, so a couple of his guitars on the back of the neck has a sticker that shows recycle. Okay, on the neck. Why? He wants to know why. He says he loves the channel, by the way. Why? I, I don't know. So first, Dale, let me let me clear this up. Obviously, I'm not looking at what you're looking at. And I don't remember seeing any uh, recycle 
stickers on my guitars. However, there are stickers or markings or imprints or logos that sometimes are confused with recycling. So let's start there. So I just want to make sure we're all clear. The recycling logo is the circle of arrows in a triangle type shape. Um, and then usually it's used on plastics to tell them like there's different numbers. I'm very layman's on this. I mean, I'm, I have enough to, to, to talk about this much, but um, but a lot of times the stickers you're talking about aren't recycle stickers. They're like don't throw away stickers. So sometimes you have like a picture of a trash can receptacle and a big X and it says don't. And that sticker I think is for Europe. It's uh, it's a requirement for th goods being shipped into Europe. And um, it's basically like don't throw that in the trash <laughs> is what that's saying. It's not recycle. It's just like don't throw in the trash. So there are different ones. And then there's like the CE code. So there are different uh, stickers and or actually like silk screened onto guitars now we see it all the time amps guitars all what made and it all has to do with l certain laws and of course just like in california where it's like the fifth biggest economy in the world um california will mandate some laws and then literally every manufacturer will be like look uh two out of every 10 things sold is going to california so just make it all screw it like they just do it for every product that's why we see a lot of stuff like this this causes cancer stuff is on everything now but it's really for californians for their California requires that, so but they put it on everything for every state. Here, at least in the states, I don't know how it works overseas, but I see it all the time. A lot of those decals and stickers are for uh, the EU and their requirements, and usually are not about recycling, about uh, throwing away. But what's good is you can Google it. <laughs> you can Google it, but Google if you really want to know what is on your guitar, besides just asking me and what I'm kind of shooting at you uh don't google recycle logos google the name of your logo so if you see whatever you see type that like three arrows in a triangle or trash can with a lot you know x or ce and then google it and it'll tell you why it's there but most of that stuff's there for the for the eu so uh guitar science and try to stay on subjects you know when you guys are talking about stuff i'm talking about guitar science said prop 95 everything in california gives you cancer exactly prop 95 is the uh the tag you see on everything from uh, in our uh, everything but in our world guitar cases guitars pedals um I just look oh yeah perfect example look uh this is uh i have a a boss not boss i have a behringer pedal here uh and yes i'm working on i got my six behringer pedals let me not segue too much let me stay on topic for those that you can see this is what i'm talking about it has those things ce is that logo i told you there that's the what he thinks are what i think he thinks is the recycle logo i don't think that's a recycle logo and then the no throw away the trash thing these are logos but i don't think they're actually recycle logos but i could be mistaken but that's why they're there because they're on everything it's just the law um so you guys know you remember a few months ago i said i mentioned that sweetwater had uh behringer pedals for literally 20 dollars. i bought six and i think my bill came to 106 <laughs> pedals i have all six pedals now and and so I've started the preparations for the board. That will be a video you'll see uh, where I will uh, check out all six uh, Behringer pedals. And um, and then we'll figure out from there what to... I have no idea what I'm going to think. I have no idea. I haven't tried any of them yet. I don't want to do the... Re I don't want to try them until I, I have the camera rolling. I'd like to capture the reaction if I'm truly shocked or if I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you never know. Um, okay, so... Uh, next, I have just a couple more of the pre-show questions to, to do. As I drink water, 
Let me tell you, this is the laser cup we talked about last week. Um, he reached out to me, by the way, this week, and I put a link down below to his website. He said you can buy these lasered Know Your Gear cups from him and uh, the coasters and stuff, too. So I put a link. We talked about that last week and all that stuff. So he reached out and said, yeah, he's willing. He's doing it. I think he's... Uh, he does all kinds of cool laser stuff. I was checking out his website. So there you go. It's a link down below if that's something you're interested. I looked. I didn't see a price tag for him. I'm sorry. I apologize. All I can say is uh, the one he made me is really nice. Actually, maybe two, but you know what I mean? The ones he made me are nice. So if you get one as nice as that, I, I think you'll be happy because, like I said, it's it's a really badass cup. Okay. Um, let's uh, Let's get to... Valdis, okay, Valdis says, man, it's 11 p.m. in the U.K. You should start two hours earlier. Okay, so I did this once before in the last, like, you know, couple months. Uh, I'll do it again next week. Next week, we will do a bonus podcast on Wednesday. So what will happen is that one will be at, uh, let's let's see, let's see. Uh, He said two hours earlier. 9 p.m. still kind of late for some. Let's do um, 8 p.m. So 8 p.m. UK time. So that would be 1 p.m. my time. So today's show started at 3 p.m. my time. Next Wednesday, there will be a bonus podcast at 1 p.m. Uh, I, what I call this is the European Friendly Time Zone Podcast. And uh, we'll still have a Friday show. You're not going to miss out. I'll just do a bonus one next week. We'll do a, a show on Wednesday. So be prepared. that. And if you forget, I'll send it out a couple hours early. You guys will know. We'll do a bonus podcast next week. Uh for our our friends overseas because yes i like doing that i like making an extra one uh, or changing the time zone every once in a while but i don't think there'll be a problem with doing two next week um so yeah <laughs> sorry as i'm getting sidetracked talking about this nathan's like your wife actually let you spend money on behringer products man she has changed she has never stopped me from it she just i told you i just know that she would uh, no, she knows what I'm up to. Uh, you know, it's funny. I would say like, you know, she has that, uh, face of, of disappointment when I do stuff like that. But, uh, no, she knows, look, she, she's, it's not, like I said, it's not because I'm like, look, and there's even more stickers on this thing. <laughs> there's an E with circles. Um, she, she knows what I'm up to, which is, um, you know, I just don't want to blindly say things about products that I don't know anything about. So I'm trying out these boss, our Behringer. I don't like him. Sorry, call him boss. Try out these Behringer pedals because, you know, that's the whole point of the channel. Know your gear is not like, you know, read the specs or know all the information or memorize all these facts and figures. It's try things and see how it works and try to get a full understanding of what it is you like and don't like. And so I will try these Behringer pedals instead of just saying something about them. Let's try them. So maybe, like I said, I'll give you my insight, whatever that's worth. Then we have... Uh, we have, what else do we have? I have a couple more, but I want to, oh, here's one. Uh, so this is an early one and then we'll jump into some current ones. JB2 says, I walked into a local guitar center today, saw about 10 to 12 guitars on the wall, about four guitars. Oh, about four guitars and basses in the used section, five employees standing around doing nothing was so depressing. Just walked out. Um, I understand that feeling. I had that experience this week with at Home Depot. I had to, my, you know, because everything's crap now. My my stove, my stove broke. You know, that's only like four years old because stoves only last like four years now, apparently. Refrigerator's like two years. Anyways, 
So I had to get a new stove. So we went to Home Depot. Not for the stove. We were just at Home Depot, and we thought we should look at stoves. And it's like, yeah, there's nothing there. It was like two stoves <laughs> and sadness, and we left. So I understand your feeling. What I will tell you is I have actually been paying attention, as you can imagine, lately to uh, stock levels at stores and, che and checking things. And what I can tell you is inventory is increasing. Uh, all the guitar centers I've been in have been increasing inventory consistently week after week. Whether so, what I mean by that is you can tell. Like if they had twenty guitars, now they have twenty-two. If they had, you know what I mean. When not, and then the following week they have twenty-six. I mean, there's growth. They're still selling, but there's still growth. So we see inventory increasing, more amps in the stores. So even though it sounds, th it looks thin and nasty, it's growing. I definitely see the supply chains catching up as what I perceive is being the demand decreasing as well. So we're seeing a slowdown in the d demand of products, and and a slight increasing in the amount of products uh, being back back you know back in stock definitely for sure is the thing all right so uh but yeah i understand your feeling we all sound and feel that it walks in it's weird right um actually my my weird my weird my weirdest my latest weird experience at a guitar center that was really kind of weird wasn't on how little guitars they had in the main lobby you know you walk in amps and stuff there was low inventory for sure uh it was ralph was with me my buddy ralph we went into the acoustic room and it was like empty, like empty, empty. I mean, there was may maybe, it doesn't even matter how many guitars. It doesn't matter if it was 10 or 50 or six. Literally, it was like 20%. I was going to say 25, but that's actually rounding up too much. It was 20% of the room had guitars in it. So 80% of the room was just physically empty. <laughs> that was not, that was a creepy experience. That, that I did not enjoy that. We actually felt so uncomfortable checking out guitars, we just left that room because, I, like you, it feels ominous. It feels weird, right? You're just in there going, there's nothing in here. <laughs> why, why is there nothing in here? Uh, so, uh, so, yes, yeah. So, yeah, of course. Um, all right. Okay, uh, let me – hold on. Okay, I want to get this question just because I caught it caught my eye. So it's from Johnny One Thousand RR. It says, "Can you do Friedman Mini Dirty Shirley?" So he's talking about the Friedman Dirty Shirley. So can I, he said do, but I think he means use. Can you use the free? I, I want to answer this because I have that amp and I, it's one of my favorite amps. Can you use the Friedman Dirty Shirley Mini as a bedroom amp? Regards from Sweden. Absolutely, that's what I use it for. I use it for the dirty. I like personally. I like the Dirty Shirley full size or the Twin Sister. I don't want to say much more, but it is. I like it twice as much. I don't know. I don't know the emotional way I rate my number of motion. I like the full-size Dirty Shirley more than the Mini. I just do. But the Mini is fantastic for getting that sound a little quieter. It doesn't have the bass, the fullness that the full-size head has. But, man, sometimes that fullness is a, is a nightmare when you're trying to keep... Uh, relatively quiet and I'm I'll do it I'll I'll uh, I'll literally force an amp to do something it doesn't want to do <laughs> which is be quiet you know what I mean I'll play quietly instead of playing through my spark like I should or some you know small practice amp that can really just get a, a great tone you know ultra quiet I'll literally just try to I'll sit there and like for like literally for like a minute and a half I'll rock the volume knob until I catch that right spot <laughs> just the right spot where I'm like okay now I can play <laughs> and be quiet enough um, and especially for me to, so to give you, uh, I, and just to solidify this with you, uh, Johnny and why I'm saying this, um, 
I have a, uh, a ritual, right? As a lot of people do. I have a ritual and it's, uh, at some point at night, uh, we decide it's time to go to bed. I don't know how that works. Like we don't have a set bedtime. Just all of a sudden it's like, I'm tired. You tired? Yeah. And then we just go to bed and we adjourn upstairs is how we do it. And, uh, everybody has a habit. I, I don't know everybody, but most people have a habit to go to bed. My habit is, uh, I go upstairs, I get ready for, for, for bed and I have a amp in my bedroom and a chair next to the bed and I play guitar for about 10 to 20 minutes. My wife, uh, has a, uh, an Apple, a tablet and she, she does stuff on her tablet, right? <laughs> She's like doing, I don't know, accounting or I don't know, maybe watches YouTube videos. I'm not sure. But, um, I play quietly while she reads on this tablet and, uh, and I can do that as long as I'm not, uh, blaring her out. And so the point is I could come in this room and she wouldn't even really hear me, but I go and, and I do it in that room. Cause that's where I want to do it. Cause I'm right next to bed. And then when I'm done, I just turn off the amp and I go to bed. So I play the dirty Shirley, uh, in that room quietly all the time. And it's one of the amps I can actually get away with. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I know some of the things we talk about. How quiet can you get a nice tube amp? You can get it pretty quiet. Okay. Now, now we have to go to the next question. Um, the next question is from Mark. Mark says, Phil, what's the best way to get sticky, gunky feeling of, of a Gibson Les Paul classic neck off? He means, okay. So I think what he's describing is not like sticky gummy, like a residue or, you know, like we're thinking, I think he's actually talking about physically the lacquer. Lacquer finishes, nitrocellulose lacquer finishes, uh, especially with, uh, in my, in, to me, when I get them warm, they get a little tacky is what I like to word. You said sticky, I say tacky. Sticky to me is like, sticky is like, you know, chewed bubble gum is sticky where, you know, tacky is just a little, it's a little like, I don't know, rough. I don't know, not, not even rough. Just not so sticky. Tacky is less sticky. How about that? So um, there is a couple things you can do, especially since it tends to happen when your hand gets hot and sweaty or the neck, you know, the finish gets warm because you're playing back and forth a lot. Uh, you can use Meguiar's um, with anything, a Carnuba wax, and you can wax the neck and that will make it really slick and that will help a lot. Um but it's a little tricky thing, man. If you if you really have trouble with lacquer finishes, I used to. I don't know what happened. Just someday, I, one day I lucked out. I used to pick up guitars with lacquer finishes and exactly that feeling. I feel like it was sticking on my arm, on the arm carve. I feel like the, the neck was sticky. Just everything didn't work for me. And I'd be like, I hate them. <laughs> and then one day, I don't remember when, I just picked one up and playing it. It was fine. And ever since then, I've been getting away with it since. So, uh BC Rich 581 says, Tacky is my middle name. Yes, Tacky, yes. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, to, to the question, that's what I would try. I would try that. Get some McGuire's Carnuba wax, Carnuba wax, and and uh, and and do that. And then you might see a, a significant improvement to where you get away with that. Because it will decrease the friction is basically what's what's happening. The friction, your hand rubbing the neck is what's making it feel tacky or sticky. So if you if you uh, make it all slick. It, it might, you might, uh, do that. Uh, Jim saying our 800 grit sandpaper problem solved. Yes, you can just sand the neck and 800 is like one of my faves. I don't know if I would do 800. I'd probably do four, four, six and eight is the big ones. Four is probably what I would do and then use eight. 
Um, I tend to use eight as like a polishing sand and 400 would really take some material off, not like wood, but, you know, get some of that, uh, that clear, uh, that nitro off. Um, but you can use 600 if you will too. I tend, I've, I've experimented with using six instead of doing the four, eight method, but I like four, a little bit of four, just a little bit, just to get it rough. And then eight will polish. The only reason I do it that way is if you start with just eight, which again, nothing wrong with that. Eight's such a polishing sandpaper kind of thing. What happens is the it get it gets caught. The paint gets so much in there that it just becomes useless after a couple couple passes, and then you got to tear off another piece. Of so you're gonna plow through a ton of eight, is what I'm saying. So it's a cost thing. <laughs> when I'm working on guitars all day, I don't want to go through three hundred dollars worth of sandpaper a month. Um, so I might um, I might go for the uh, eight. However, that's a big commitment. See what I'm saying? You know, telling somebody to sand their Gibson. Ooh. <laughs> you know, I, I, me, if I love the guitar and that's the only thing that's driving me crazy, I, I'm going to do it. Uh, but, but, you know, I can't advise you to sand your guitar. I can only tell you, like I said, somebody mentioned it, so I'm backing them up. Yep, you can do that. That's on you. <laughs> that's, it's, uh, it's never going to have the value it once had once you sand it. Even if you only sand it uh, to satin and then you can still buff it back one day, you're taking the chance that it just, you know, you're devaluing your guitar. And I don't know what model you have and I don't know anything. So just, you know, like I said, take everything with caution. There's no, if you love it, make it your own. If you don't love it, you're going to kill the resale value. And let's be honest, we don't know we love something it's, uh, when it comes to guitars until, you know, time goes by. That's time is what keeps it. Uh, Rob Baker said, Hey Rob, he says, uh, music nomad polish works pretty well too. Absolutely. Uh, the paste polish. Yes. It's, uh, the paste that smells like, like bubble gum. I love it. <laughs> uh, it's gray. And, uh, the, um, I love the music nomad polish it smells like bubble gum. The only thing I uh, just, I don't know about Rob, if it happens to him. The only thing I don't like about it is that damn thing spurts everywhere. No matter what I do. It shoots out polish in all directions every time I try to put it on a cloth. But yeah, that works too. Um, you can use that as well. In fact, that's generally what I use. I have both downstairs. I have uh, Meguiar's Carnuba and I have Music Nomad Polish. And it just depends, you know, what I grab and why. I have different reasons for liking certain things in certain times. Oh, here's another great answer. Uh, Courier 11 seconds said, add... Uh, Add another view for Scotch Bright. Worked, uh, yes, yeah, Scotch Bright will work as well. Uh, works wonders. Uh, Scotch Bright. The uh, the only thing I know it sounds silly. The things we talk about sometimes on Fridays. Scotch Bright is actually works fantastic. There's actually something better than Scotch Bright. The um, you can get them uh, on Amazon or through uh, Stu Mac and stuff. There's a Scotch Bright pad that's white. It's a white pad. I forget the name of it. You just know you you have the right one. It's white. It's a little less. Um, coarse than the scotch bright and it works really good it's a more of a polishing pad and less of just an actual material uh a, sc a scoring pad like the scotch bright but scotch bright works however um so that's also but also when you deal with any of the scotch brights and the stuff it's tough i used to if this show was 10 years ago i'd be recommending all kinds of stuff that i don't recommend now because of the fact that the companies like the company that makes scotch bright they've now impregnated everything with some kind of they always putting crap in everything so a lot of times i get nervous like recommending things because they put chemicals in stuff. They put, uh, you know, uh, detergents in there. And um, and I get nervous 
when any when everybody's talking about nitrous oil slacker and anytime a company that I you know I'm not keeping up on every minute, you know, you could get it and you know I just don't know how those detergents are going to react. I don't know what they're going to do. You know what I mean? It just sucks. So, so yes, uh, Scotch Bright works great, but make sure that you read that it doesn't have any detergents or anything in there added to it because they like to add crap to everything. It used to be so easy. I mean, like I said, it used to be baby wipes. I used to tell people to use baby wipes all the time. Uh, <laughs> and now they put um, aloe and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of conditioners in the baby wipes. And so your hands are just greasy now. It's, and you can't find them without that stuff. So... Jim says green scotch bright is about circa 600 grit. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know the official. So if, if you have that, if you knew that for officially, that's great. That would be, I would say, yeah, I would say Scott, I, to me, it feels like scotch bright's not even as, as, uh, as, as coarse as 800 grit, but so I could see that 600, 800 grit. Sure. Of course. And then Ken Solo says, that's the white 3M pad. That's what I use. They work great. That's exactly it. I use the white 3M pads. They work fantastic. Because um, I know there's no chemicals on them, and they work great. And they're, remember, my whole thing is, um, especially when recommending to you guys, but I follow the same rules myself, but I'm more so when I'm giving the advice, uh, I go as light as possible. Because I'm always, once you take something, once you take material away, you can't put it back. So you definitely don't want to... Uh, you know what I mean? I, I always like to go a little, little light if I can. It takes a little longer, but you don't have to worry about passing it. Once you pass the line, you can't go back. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, T Tampa Blue says do a little at a time. Exactly. Exactly. Like I said, keep it, keep it light. Keep it easy. Okay. So on that note, we'll jump subjects again. If I can, for some reason, they're missing. Why are they missing? I have a screen and it's missing. I found it. All right, let's read some questions. Greg, Greg's question or comment is, hey, Phil, any update on the Epiphone Les Paul Muse? Interested in your thoughts. This is the question I thought I saw earlier. Yes, the Muse should be the very next guitar video you see. That's the video I have slotted to be the next review video you see is the Epiphone Muse. And then when earlier when I was talking to Alan, Music had a question when he was talking about the uh, Sterling Ball Music Man uh, CT50. That should be the next guitar video uh, that you see. Now I say should uh, because there is a small possibility that something shows up before those videos are edited and uh, something I'm excited about personally. And I'm just going to share it with you guys as soon as I get it. <laughs> so, so if that shows up, I'm going to do it, but that's just because, you know, again, it's weird. Uh, you know, somebody mentioned also earlier that it was nice seeing me last week on a couple other channels. I was on Ben Coombs channel. I was on, uh, Nez says channel. Uh, you know, they reached out and asked me to come on their channels and do some vids, uh, some, some talks like this. And, uh, they said, uh, a viewer was saying, earlier. I, I apologize if I didn't catch the name, but I caught the comment. Um, maybe it was a super chat. Maybe that's why it caught my eyes because they're bright colors. Uh, so if it is, you know, we'll get to it, but I'm talking about it now. Um, they said it was nice to see you there, and they said don't burn out. That's exactly what happens. So if you notice, there wasn't a whole lot of videos this week uh, in the last seven days. It's because, yeah, you tend to – not in a bad way. I mean, I enjoyed the shows. I enjoy it. But, yeah, you get a little, like – you got to keep 
part of this is teaching and information and sharing, right? Or like what I call surrogacy. Like in other words, you can't be here to touch this thing. So I want to show you what I'm experiencing. Um, and it's very fun as a gig. But when you're not in the mood, not because you're in a bad mood, just not feeling it or you're not excited, I have learned to just back away from the camera. Uh, I'm not an actor. <laughs> I'm not a presenter. I'm not trained. I didn't, you know, I don't know how to do anything other than just turn on a camera and capture what the hell's going on in the moment. And sometimes it's really, uh, it's a little uh, deflating to make a video, which happened to me the other day, and I'm editing it and I'm just bored to tears watching it because I can tell that I was bored to tears making it. And it's not anyone's fault. I just, you know, I wasn't in the mood. It's not exciting. Or I wasn't excited about the product. That happens too. You want to be excited. If it's at least negative or positive. Like if you really like, I've had products where I've really not enjoyed them, but that is actually exciting because I can show you why I'm like not enjoying it and sometimes you're enjoying it. So uh, there you go. So yeah, the Ebphone Muse will be next. It's barring any, anything wacky going on. Either way, it's coming up. It says, Mahogany. Ah, this is what it says. It was fun to see you on some other YouTubers channels uh, and, and, and in the past couple of weeks. Hope you're not burning out. And of course, uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm making sure I don't burn out. I, 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 uh, I have, uh, you know, I'm becoming what they call tenured in this gig. And so I've learned to, you know, read, read when you're burning out and don't because there's no, it doesn't do you guys any good. You guys don't want to see me all burned out. It's boring. <laughs> I'm not here to bore you, I hope. Uh, although, you know, we do talk about some boring guitar nerdy stuff, but I think it's cool. Uh, Adam said, oh, he super chapped a gazillion dollars. I'm not exaggerating. And he said to help uh, get the Evertune on the channel. Yeah, the Evertune is happening, uh, obviously, uh, because of last week. Was it last week I got the $100? Was that what it was? But I already said it was happening. Once I, It's happening. So, yes, I am on that process right now as we speak. But I do have a patron who sent out a message to me, and we were talking. I haven't talked back. But anyways, it doesn't matter. We, I saw what he said, and he had some ideas, but I'm still working on some ideas before I reach out and tell everybody what I'm up to. And that's another thing to this week. Sometimes instead of making content, you're prepping content that's coming. Jeff says, hey, Phil. Uh, yes, you. He means me. <laughs> he says uh, he's got a new shark, uh, shark cow. He's got a new shark cow. He got a new Charvel SoCal model. Uh, he says uh, volume, one volume. I think that's what he's saying. One volume uh, all over the place at first. Thought pickups. Okay, so he's saying the volume's all over the place. Right, it's all over the place. He's like, and he thought it was the pickups. Then he realized he hit the volume up. So in other words, okay. So he's playing the guitar, and the volume jumps, and then the volume drops, and he's like, what the hell's going on? Uh, you know, right? Some kind of short out, or is the pickups wacky? And he's like, no, I'm bumping the volume knob and turning that. That, that of course, makes sense. He says, um, he says, and it hurts his hand when he's strumming, because he's even hit, hitting it. It hurts his hand. He says, what options besides uh, playing style? You know, obviously changing the entire way he plays. What options does he have? Well, you have the, Sh the Charvel SoCal. The SoCal should have a pick guard, I'm assuming, off the SoCal model, which means what's great? that's what's great about a pick guard. Uh, that's one of my favorite things. You're not restricted. You can, I mean, it's again, it's your investment, your time, your money. Something I would suggest to you if you, you know, we were, I was working with you and we were like, what can we do to fix this? Maybe cut you a new pick guard and then move the volume knob out of the way. That's an easy thing to do. It's not the end of the world. It's not uh, hard to do. Um, one thing you can do since that, you know, on that guitar is, sure, you can have a new pickguard made and with a new volume knob. Uh, but what I would do is um, 
just drill a hole in the existing picard and move the damn knob where you want and if it works then that's where it goes and if it doesn't work drill another hole and move it again <laughs> and then the day you go this is it then you can take that picard down to uh pretty much any any shop that cuts pick guards, which is a lot of repair shops and just give them the pick guard and go, yeah, make me a pick guard, but that's the hole I want drilled out, not the other ones. And, uh, there you go. And that's how you do it. Um, I'm not going to say it's cheap, but it's not a huge investment by any means, or, or you can find tons of places online that will cut you a pick guard and then just ask them not to drill a hole. That's exactly what I would recommend. Uh, you can do that any, anywhere. You can uh, go online, find a company that makes pick guards or a person, say, I want a SoCal pick guard. This is the pick guard. Pickup's routed. Just do not drill the hole. And uh, there you go. And maybe buy two of them. Again, it depends on what the pick guard costs, but I would imagine, you know, versus smacking your hand and not having enjoying the guitar, I would just do that. <laughs> The investment is going to be worth it and because your only other option, besides, like you said, change your playing style, not probably going to be likely, or sell the guitar off and move on. Again, something you can do as well. Uh, Travis, Travis wants to know, he says, I never thought to ask Sweetwater for a deal. Okay, so I had, I had tax knocked off for the price. Thank you. Do you need to be concerned about humidity with a hollow body? Okay, so two questions. For first, he just wanted to let me know he didn't 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 occur to him to call Sweetwater and ask for a deal, and uh, yeah, like I said, guys, everyone, not just t t Sweetwater, but anyone, if you contact them, like I said, phone them or chat super chat or not super chat, that's me, chat them uh, uh, through their uh, interface or email them. Always ask for a deal. I always ask for a deal. Um, like I said, even on reverb, when people don't take, you know, they don't have an offer button, I will always send. If I'm a, if I'm serious and I want to buy this thing, especially the circumstance, to me, there's a, certain, there's a certain situation that happens that's pretty common with me, which is I'll see a guitar or a thing and they're not taking offers and I like it, but I'm never going to buy it at that price. So I might just email them and go, hey, man, I love your guitar. Looks great. I really want it. Not trying to lowball you. Not, you know, don't. Don't, please don't take offense. Um, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a buyer at this price and, you, and now they have my, and, and they, now they have my contact information. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with asking for a better price, especially if you really want it. If you really think you're going to buy it, you're not kicking tires. You're not just poking around. You know, what's the worst they're going to say? No, I can't give you a deal. Okay. So now it's like on you. You got to wait until you decide to pull the trigger at a bigger price or they can give you a lower price and make the deal either way. So I'm glad it worked out for you. Like I said, Travis, like I said, all you out there, uh, I appreciate everything you guys do to support the channel and clicking the affiliate links and doing all that stuff. But like I said, please, please, like I said, save yourself some money. It's your money. You work hard for it. Keep it. <laughs> it's yours. Uh, that's what it comes down to. We're all doing something we love. And the more money we get to keep, the better. It's not, you know what I mean? It's just better. Uh, the, uh, okay. So the second part of his question is, should he be concerned about humidity with a hollow body? No, not, not really. Here's why a hollow body guitar for the most part, again, there's only very few exceptions, like maybe the PRS hollow body 
core model, the ones that are like, you know, five grand, where that's a solid top and back carved out. And even then it's not a big deal, but something to think about. Most hollow bodies are going to be ply. In other words, they're going to be bent tops is what we call it. So they take a, they take wood that's plywood, like you can imagine, <laughs> multi-layers, sometimes a three ply, sometimes five ply. Gretsch guitars like made in Japan Gretsch and vintage Gretsch guitars will be three ply, which is not normal. Normal, it would be like what uh, Epiphones, Gibsons, and other brands use as a five ply. That's more common, a little thicker. What you have to understand is those those plies of wood in between those sheets is glue. <laughs> okay. And not like the old days, old days, old, 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 old days, animal high glues, which would crystallize and become brittle. New glues aren't the same. So what they're more resilient is what I'm basically saying. So what I'm trying to tell you is what feels like something that's very delicate, like a hollow body is not very delicate. I mean, it's basically plywood bent and sheets of sheets of wood, probably cross grained in different directions, most likely, and even different types of wood and then glue. It's not going to dry out. It's basically what I'm trying to tell you is it's very not likely to see a ply hollow body guitar crack because of low humidity. Um, my guess is uh, if it was to crack, it would be no more likely than, let's say, a fretboard crack. Sometimes you see fretboard cracks when they dry out, you know, really intensely. And at that point, it was it was going to crack because it, it's either the, the, the environment is so harsh and dry or the guitar was not prepped really well. So there you go. So there you go. So, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't I wouldn't humidify a hollow body guitar. It. In, in, unless, of course, it was vintage and old, and it was, like I said, something I'm trying to cater to. And then even then, it would be case by case and why you would do it. Tampa Blues says, I enjoy the shows. I enjoy Tampa Blues that you enjoy the show. <laughs> why? Because when you say you enjoy the show, it reminds me like, oh, is that why we're doing this? Because sometimes I'm like thinking, I'm thinking sometimes I'm the only one having fun here. I'm just... To you, I'm talking to you. To me, I'm talking to this 27-inch screen and a little camera where I'm poking my finger right now. <laughs> so I, I'm having fun. Sometimes I wonder, like, if I would, you know, just talking to myself. But I'm not. You guys are here. And obviously, Tampa Blues enjoys it, which is enough. It was enough. <laughs> That's enough for me to know that you enjoy it. Uh, then we have zero. I think with the next, right? Does it still be zero? Zero six six six. Like like the uh, the uh, ohm readouts <laughs> on the John Muir pickups. When I did that, so you commented when I was uh, when I put the multimeter on the John Muir pickups for that last video, the uh, the um, Mark Letteria and the John Muir guitar. When they, all the pickups were <laughs> ohming out at six six six, I was I, I I'm not I I don't consider myself any kind of you know person who cares either way about that stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't, you know, like I said, please don't be offended anyway. But even that way, I was looking at there going, man, I was just, I, before I snapped the picture in that video, I waited so long. It, it probably felt like five minutes. It was probably about a 30, 40 seconds. I stared at the multimeter going, click, come on, move. Six, 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 five, six, six, seven. Come on, something, anything. Please don't be six, six, six. It just seems so creepy. <laughs> So, uh, but I just thought it was funny. And so a couple of people uh, commented that 666, all his pickups, it was 666, 666, and 667. So I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, funny. So anyways, uh, 0666 uh, says, uh, 
Is a Strandberg worth selling some of my other guitars for? I'm having some arthritis in my hands and I thought the neck might help with it. I can't find one to try in my area. So I, I like the Strandberg guitars and I've been very fortunate to work on very a lot of them uh, because I have some friends that are really into them. Uh, some more so than not. And uh, I don't consider the the Strandberg, I, the Endura neck, which is what you're talking about. The Endura neck, if you guys don't know, the Strandberg guitars, which look like a Steinberger from back in the 80s, you know, a little bit crazier, like a puzzle piece. Uh, <laughs> it, it has what's called an Endura neck, which is asymmetrical. It's like all, you know, it looks like, you know, it, it's like, I don't know. All hard lines and squared off and different and weird, and uh, and uh, so what am I trying to say? I think it's unique. I think it's interesting. It's not what I would consider some for. If you told me you have arthritis, what would I recommend for that? I don't think I would pick that guitar. When I think of arthritis and I think of the problems with arthritis, uh, I would focus on just a comfortable shaped neck as much as possible. Something's not very thick, you know, right? So again, getting something not super thick and not super thin. Here's why. I, I, I'll explain it one more time. I've done this in the past. Your hand is stronger closed. Uh, arthritis, not arthritis. I mean, I know it's hard to close your hand when you have arthritis, but think about it pre-arthritis, right? Your hand is stronger closed. So when you're trying to squeeze something, if you squeeze something that's an inch inch thick, you can have a lot of force. If you squeeze something that's four or five inches thick, you have less strength to, to, to do that with, right? So a thinner neck, not a thin neck, but a thinner neck sometimes helps your hand have a little bit more, uh, or actually put out, have to work so hard to get strength. So I'm not saying that's going to help with the arthritis. We're not there yet. What I'm saying is, is that a staying away from a thick neck will help. You don't need a super thin neck because at some point the neck gets so thin it actually actually hurts the other way. So it's like kind of like the Goldilocks syndromes of necks. You need this perfectly medium neck. That being said with arthritis, focus on strings. That will help you even more. There's a reason why, look, there's a thousand theories out there and probably none of them are right and none of them are wrong. But there is cannot be a coincidence that B.B. King, Billy Gibbons, and every rock star blues person, uh, I don't want to say blues stars, a blues star thing, blues player. Isn't it funny that they're blues players but rock stars? That's kind of funny. Anyways, blues player and um, rock stars, There's no. it can't be a coincidence that all of them, as they age, as they get older, they go lighter and lighter gauge strings to the point where you get sevens and Billy Gibbons. What I can tell you is I did a seven string challenge and I had a uh, an, old, an old customer. I don't want to say old like age, like old. I had him for a long time. <laughs> he, he saw that video. This was years ago when I did that video. And he bought seven gauge strings and put them on his guitar and literally told me this. And, and it's true. It's not like, you know, it's all 100% true. He was able to increase how long he could play by twice as long. So his hands, you know, playing with arthritis, playing with that stuff, it hurts. And so literally he could tolerate twice as long to play. So if you have arthritis, before I would go with an Endura neck, before I'd run down that road, if you want a suggestion, first start with some light S strings. It's cheap. It's easy. Go with it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you can't go, I mean, $6 investment. Do that. See where that takes you. If you, if, and here's what's great. You'll know whether or not what I'm saying is right or wrong for you by the second you try that. 
<laughs> if you're literally like, I noticed no difference whatsoever, then you're like, okay, well, then I'll go get an Enduraneck. What do you got to lose then? But I would say put that in there, uh, put that investment out there. Um, got, uh, Gary Russell says, I have arthritis and the Music Man Cutlass Soft V contour is far uh, most comfortable for me with the nut. Uh, right. So he's going through the guitar. And again, same thing. I would say, like I said, I don't think you need a special neck. I just think the neck has to be somewhat comfortable. And like I said, I would think about going lighter gauge strings because that's where you're exerting exerting all the force. The neck doesn't really, I mean, I understand that changes your hand position and that can change comfort and a lot of things, but um, really it's going to be string. Uh, Roy Rogers said, I went nylon, right? If you're acoustic player, instead you can always go lighter strings, nylon, of course, or you can go silk and steel. Um, Sometimes when we say it fast, it says we're saying silicon steel, <laughs> like silicon, <laughs> but it's silk uh, and steel. And silicon steel is a hybrid set of strings that you can put on a steel string acoustic, and they're going to feel a light tension, a lot more like a classical guitar, but not full out like classical because the three high strings are still metal and not nylon, but the low three strings are, I think they're nylon core wrapped in metal, just like... Uh, a, a, a nylon string would is so i mean that's what i said put that fo that focus on there i've had a lot of success giving this advice over the years especially at the store over the years with repairs with all kinds of players the setup making sure the setup's right lowering the gauge uh to a lighter gauge um and and that seems to always go uh, a long way and then i hopefully a lot of people are going to be commenting and giving you some insight on their experiences too but like i said the endure neck is cool but i don't really see it that way in my head is playing it nothing about it makes me go wow this is way less effort or stress on my hand if anything it's it's just to help you play a certain type of way really great which a lot of that playing is like fast playing jazz playing shredding playing like i said very cool concept in a neck but not not, not what I would perceive uh, fix for that problem. Um, <laughs> Josh Smith says, uh, he did a super chat, towards the next ch oil change for the dump truck. That's awesome. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Uh, so last week I said I also uh, am a hairdryer uh, by night, and uh, somebody said, what about the dump truck? I'm like, yeah, I have that too. So I Okay. Alex says, Hey, Phil, uh, I don't have a Sam Ash near me. Is there still a way to ask for a discount online? Uh, would they give me one on a gold top less Paul thinks? Yeah, of course. Call them. You, they got a, a customer service number, sales number. You call it, ask, you know, just like anybody else, like Guitar Center or whatever, you're going to call and they're going to go, do you want to talk to customer service or sales? And you're like sales. You're going to need someone on the phone and say, Hey, I want to buy this guitar. And, uh, and they might have a call center like everybody else. And so you're going to call and you go, uh, Hey, I want to buy this gold top plus Paul. Can you make me a deal? And the answer is going to be yes. Or obviously the answer is going to be no, but if the answer is no, if you can't get that through customer service, through the sales online force, and this goes for, um, guitarcenter.com. I mean, it doesn't work for Sam Ash, unfortunately, or not Sam Ash, uh, Sweetwater, but any of those things, if you're calling the call centers and they're like, Oh, I'm sorry, that's just the price or we can't do anything for you. Then call a store. You can buy a guitar from a store. You can call Sam Ash and go, Hey, I want to buy this guitar. I want to know if you make me a deal and then have it shipped my house. Yeah. Why not? They want to make the sale. They're going to do it. So, or they won't. And then you can let me know. And then I'll stop giving that advice. And I'll also probably call Sammy Ash <laughs> and let her know. Hey, man, 
you're, you know, because let me tell you, they're a culture, Sammy Ash and the Sam Ash family and Sam Ash stores are a culture of, they're a mom and pop. They just, they're huge, like Guitar Center. And so they don't see mom and pop. They're still mom and pop. It's a family running that business. And um, I was, the how I actually met Sammy Ash is the weirdest way, you know, obviously through this YouTube gig and stuff, talking to him. But one of the things that happened that was really strange is, I was at a Sam Ash with a friend who wanted to buy a very expensive guitar, a uh, very expensive, like $4,000 guitar. And they were asking for a deal because I suggested, hey, why don't you ask him for a deal? And he gave him a deal. He asked him for a deal. He's like, hey, can you make me a deal on this guitar? It's been sitting here for like two years. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm sitting there for two years. He wanted it. And they called Sam Yash. <laughs> and I was like, doesn't he have like a Fortune 5, you know, not Fortune 500, but it's like a billion dollar company. It's like, Huge, right? There's giant Sam Ash stores everywhere. Like they called Sammy Ash and he answered and then he approved it. That's hands on, man. I was in shock. I almost was almost tempted to yell like when they're on the phone, like, hey, Sammy, it's Phil McKnight. How's it going? Right. But instead, I was like, I just wanted to see what happened. So literally, I watched an employee, not a manager of the store. I watched the employee call Sammy Ash and get approval. Remember, we're in Arizona. He's in New York and he proved the deal. So yeah, so I would call. <laughs> That's all that just to tell you to call. I could have just said call and then go into the next question. I apologize, Alex. Kevin says, "Ever tried Klein single coils?" I have not, but you know what? That's like a if you ever want a question where I could answer no to, ask me about every pickup builder ever. <laughs> there's, sorry, I'm laughing so loud. I'm spiking the mic. Um, I mean, there's it's like guitar manufacturers. I hear a new guitar manufacturer every single day. I hear a new amp manufacturer about it once every week. There's definitely less amp manufacturers than guitar manufacturers because it's hard. <laughs> it's a hard entry business to get into. You can build a guitar much, much more inexpensively as a startup company than an amplifier for the most part because you don't kill people if you do it wrong. And um, and then pedal companies are another company where I like literally I can hear another pedal company every single day. But pickups are definitely something I can hear every single day. So I have not heard of those pickups, but let's go on. Also, who is your favorite hand-wound pickup company? Oh, okay. That's a good question. Uh, I love how genuine you come across. Thanks for everything, uh, Phil. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, obviously I'm just like with pedals and stuff. I might pick friends like William Wiggins from Wiggins Pickups. I love his pickups. I, I, I know his wife. I know William. Great pickups. So, but I mean, part of that, like I said, I always tell you, I, I want you always know what my bias is. My bias is I know them. So I like them. And I also like his pickups. So he's one I picked for that reason. Um, the uh, the company that made the Angel pickups that I did the video on, uh, it's still some of my favorite pickups. And why I like that pickup and that pickup builder is, um, you know, some of you know I make some pickups. I do them for videos. Some of you have some of my pickups. You know, there's stuff like that. But what what it is is what's different. <laughs> Let's be very clear. What's different? Why I acknowledge uh, those pickups, the the angel pickups. Why I did a video about those pickups is they are great. They are, I love them, and they are super cheap. I would not, me personally, appreciate he does it, which is why I have a set and I recommend them to you guys. I would not make a set of pickups for that price. My time is worth more to me. And when I mean my time, I don't mean oh, I'm rich and therefore I don't have time. I mean, I'd rather spend time with my daughter than wind you pickups for almost nothing. He might not have kids. 
that happens. Maybe he has a dog and the dog can sit next to him while he winds pickups. I can spend time with my dogs and wine pickups. I can't spend time with my kids and wine pickups. So everybody values time differently. So that he's definitely a pickup company that I would recommend because he makes great stuff. And I'll, I'll link in this video this time to the video, but it's the angel pickups. If you look at my video series, the angel pickups is the model number of the pickups. Um, he's a, a pickup builder. I may, I, I like, um, for, for hand wired pickups and hand wired. I'm very, very, very specific on this. Um, I do not for me personally consider a lot of pickups that are hand wired to be hand wired. Paul Richmond makes great pickups. They're not hand wired to me. Uh, Seymour Duncan, Larry DiMaggio, as you guys know, is a friend, not really hand-wired pickups. Great pickups, not hand-wired. Hand-wired is literally like, you know, like when I want to pick up, <laughs> I'm sitting there holding the wire. It's like literally running through my finger. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm hand-wiring it. There's something about that. I, I love this analogy. I've used it all the time for years. Hand-winding pickups has an effect on the sound. It just does. Um, it's not magic. There's no unicorn dust on the pickups. <laughs> it's just you know it's just like cooking you know what i mean there's just so many variances like when you do pinches of things versus measured out amounts you're going to have sometimes a slightly better experience sometimes a le slightly lesser experience but always a different experience and therefore it's this has uniqueness and the uniqueness translates into something um and so reason why i i say that about hand wound, wound is and why i like Houndwound pickups is my analogy is there has to be something special to it because if you notice every company that makes non hand wound pickups, in other words, they use the machines, the machines are trying to emulate and copy what hand winding does, like scatter wound is sometimes what we call it. Um, imagine if CNC machines were programmed to have mistakes. Imagine if they took a CNC machine, like, okay, cut this body out, but do it like a person would. So, like, screw up just a little bit. <laughs> right <laughs> they would never do that it seems silly right no one want to oh my guitar body's great it's not handmade but it looks handmade because look it's got a, it's got a mess up where they hit the knot and chipped it out and then used the filler right <laughs> um it's it's like i said it's uh it's there is some magic to hand wound pickups and of course they take a long time when i say a long time uh i've said this before i can wind or i can wind i do wind uh a single coil pickup for me, I just, for some reason, wanted to know, uh, I happened to know fresh is why I'm telling you why I know fresh. I, uh, I had Ralph time it six minutes. It was six minutes. It's like five something for the wind and then, and everything in and six minutes for the soldering of the wire. So about six minutes to seven minutes to construct, you know what I mean? Put the, after I put the bobbins on and stuff. Um, so, you know, let's, let's round that up a little bit. You know what I mean? Let's say it takes 10 minutes to make a pickup, a single coil pickup by hand. You know what I mean? That's not fast enough for a manufacturer that needs thousands of pickups out every day. So there you go. So they got to go faster than that. I know it's funny what we talk about a long time. It, by the way, six minutes feels like a long time when you're holding it. I like, like I said, I've always uh, likened uh, winding pickups is like going fishing. <laughs> Same experience. You sit there and, uh, you know, you hold the line and you wait. <laughs> and then eventually it's over <laughs> and you go home. All right. Uh, Uh, all right. Uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, <laughs> I'm looking at comments. Anything, anyone, anyone got any comments on this subject? Uh, 
Joshua says, sure they can. That's what the random function is for. Yes, any smiley face. I know what he means. Of course, of course. But like I said, it's just something about it. It's just always a little different. Okay. Uh, anyone else got any comments on this subject before I go to the next question or next subject? I just like... Yeah, Guitar Science said handmade, hand-wired means somebody sat there with a winder and made it and not a machine. That's exactly it. That's it. But here, here, and then there's a different, and then there's different layers, right? What I also call artisan, okay? This is something that um, uh, that's important, uh, I find is important to, to uh, I don't want to say validate. That's not the right word. Um, to value. Artisan is something we should, I value. I'm not, maybe I'm not going to tell you guys what to value. I'm going to tell you why I value artisan and what artisan means to me. So we use words like boutique, boutique pickups, boutique pedals, boutique amps, all that stuff's great. Sure. Boutique is limited. Boutique is made in a garage somewhere, whatever you think boutique is. That's great. Let me tell you what I think artisan is. Artisan means it was made by that person. So like, for instance, uh, handmade pickups are cool, right? Somebody made a, I think it was, I'm not all inventions said, made a comment like get your kids to wine pickups, but the pickup wouldn't be made by me. Uh, so to me, that's not, it's not that, uh, it's not that the pickup itself is important. It's sometimes the artisan is important. It con in other words, it's made by a specific person. Uh, I talk about LPD pedals quite often. Lo uh, Lawrence makes his pedals. Lawrence does it. If you have an LP pe LPD pedal, you have a pedal that Lawrence made. He made it. <laughs> no helpers, right? He's just doing it. So somebody says, I, I hear artisan, I think cheese. Uh, yeah, sure, why not? But I like the term artisan because, again, if something is an artisan pedal, artisan uh, pickup, uh, you know, there is, it means that that person made it. Though The idea that that's, that's not sustainable, and that's why it has value to me. No one who is going to be successful is going to be able to make the product all by themselves for very long. Eventually one day that's how it works. Like Paul Reed Smith did not make your guitar. <laughs> you have a Paul Reed Smith guitar. Paul Reed Smith did not make it unless you have a really, really, really old one. And one of the first ones, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm saying it's, that's different. So it's different to me sometimes when a person is making every single thing, because here's why that's important to me. One, it, just, it means it's a more emotional connection to the idea that somebody made it. It's kind of makes it unique, but also it makes it unique because they can only physically make so many before they got to get helpers. Um, floopity do says Luis made my pal 800. Uh, and so I have an artisan pedal. Yes. Well, I'll, uh, pedal pal, again, another friends of mine, Luis and Alvaro. If you have a pedal, one of them made it one or the other. It's those two, two friends, two partners. Um, same thing. You know what I mean? It's very cool. Especially when you do the math and you go, nothing wrong with this. I'm not getting, we're not, we're not villainizing or, you know, uh, you know, making it sound, I don't know what I'm trying to say, guys. <laughs> I'm trying not to piss anybody off, so let me just get say it the way I want to say it. When I buy a $200 paddle that's mass-produced by a company, it doesn't really piss me off. It just it, I just know there's nothing special there other than I got what I needed. It's a product. I wanted it. It sounds a certain way. I'm excited. Great. Done. But when I buy a $200 pedal that was made by a person, and I know that it fed them, and it paid their rent, and they put, you know, and they stayed up nights, and they missed out on watching the soccer game, or, you know what I mean, or that 
it means something to me. Uh, it's probably because I'm a small businessman and in small business, if you're a small business person, sometimes the the untangible is all of those soccer games missed, all of those moments missed, either with your children or your friends or something like that, right? So those late nights. And, um, and so therefore I value that. That's where I value things for me. But it's not real. It's not tangible. It's not something I could clarify with, you know, honest to goodness, tangible things. I just like that stuff. Amanda Coombs said, Tessie Switch is the same. Of course. I, I Like I said, small companies. That's why, like I said, we like to talk about them on the channel. I don't, like I said, it's funny. <laughs> so. Uh, DD says, link for angel pickups. All righty. Hold on a second. Let's do this. While we're here, let me try it and see if I can do it. I want to see if I can just grab it real quick while I'm talking. Let's see if I can multitask, everybody. Um, there we go. Let me go. Oh, look at this. Okay. I don't, I don't want to play the video. <laughs> okay. So uh, here, I'm going to put it in the chat so you guys will have it. Let's see if I can do this. Paste. The company is called Octave Doctor, and the pickups are called the Angel Pickups. So there you go. I just put a link for those in live, and then, of course, I'll have a link for the rebroadcast. But there you go. Check out his pickups because, uh, like I said, they're great, and I think they're uh, fantastic for the price. For the price – oh, well, they're fantastic, period, but the price is definitely impressive. Um what else do we have? We have Robert Baker. Robert Baker, not the YouTube channel, but our friend from New Jersey who says, hello, Phil. Uh, no question. <laughs> Fine. Fine. No, just showing some love. Uh, it's date night, so I will be leaving early and catching the replay tomorrow. Feel free to make a joke and have a great weekend. Yeah, um, um, here's the joke. Not really, but here's the comment. I'm so glad that date night is not watching this. <laughs> If your date night is, hey, we watched you talk about guitar stuff for uh, ever on YouTube, I, I would say, yeah, you're not going to make it very long. I don't know. Or maybe you have the coolest wife ex, well, not ex, but wife slash girlfriend ever, maybe, but I'm glad date night is going out. Enjoy date night is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Jimmy T568 says, Highlander guitar. Weeks away from opening a brick and mortar guitar. Oh, Highlander Guitar. If it says AM, I don't know what the AM stands for. Highlander Guitar AM. Weeks away from opening a brick and mortar. I have three teachers lined up and to rent space for lessons and, and three sales tech, okay, builder. I have a social media sales manager, three labels being, being a dealer. Anything I missed? I have no idea. Um, because I mean, I understand that I, I running down that information, but, um, no, here's the deal. The, the only advice I will give, if I'm giving us a, a thing about what you missed is don't worry about what you missed. Be ready to pivot and move quickly. <laughs> so the only thing I can tell you is, and it's even more so true now, like I said, sometimes when you do something and then you stop, like I had a store and then I stopped the information I have is maybe dated at some point, right? You know, I'm also Oracle based certif certified. So I'm like, you know, sometimes that's re relevant, but like the fact that I can run an AS400 system is not really relevant anymore. 
<laughs> right, right, right. So what I'm saying is sometimes what you know becomes dated. What I will tell you is the stuff I know about what you're doing is still relevant because why is because it's ha it's more so relevant now than it was when I was doing it, which is be ready to pivot and adjust quickly. So you have teachers, great. If you get a lot of students, lean into that. If you're not getting students, lean away from it. You know what I mean? Uh, same thing. You have a builder, great. If he's uh, building guitars and he's getting stuff done for you and you're, you're having great experience there, great. If it's not, pivot away from it. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, basically, don't, get in, don't try to plan everything out and then execute that plan to the T. Be prepared to... <laughs> Jimmy T, don't follow the plan to the T. Don't be afraid to adjust the plan if you need to. Um, that is where I found my most success in life. I literally am a, a pivoter on many, many occasions. I have pivoted in many times in my life and, uh, and not, I would love to say, and every time it was the right decision. But what I will tell you is every time I pivoted, it wasn't the right decision, but it ended in the right decision because eventually I was like, and that's sometimes some of the things you have to do. And if you want to be in business and you want to take your hard earned cash and throw it down and say, I'm going to take a chance on this. Uh, if you're going to be stubborn, you probably gonna go out of business. So be prepared. That's it. And also, uh, congratulations to you and man, I'm very excited for this. So it's Highlander guitar. The only thing is it says, AM, where's it at? Uh, so if you could put in the comments where your store is going to be at, that would help and let people know. And if you have a website, post it out, uh, post out the website. So people know, uh, we're guitar players. We're very interested in hearing about another guitar place to get guitars. It's just how it works. One more guitar store? Like how many, everybody was talking about how many guitars is enough? How many guitar stores is enough? <laughs> One more. <laughs> um, Pablo says, what is your favorite pedal and have you ever built your own inspired? Okay, and then that's the end of that question. It says inspired after the pedal movie. How about you? Okay, so uh, have I ever built my own pedal? I have not. I've built two amplifiers, 5E3s. So I built two of those. That was a fun experience. That was different. Um, I've never built my own pedal, not even like a little kit. I just have no, and I've never had any desire. I've modded a pedal here and there, but not like for any specific reason, you know, and I've fixed a couple of my pedals because sometimes you'd have to fix stuff. Plunger, the switch goes bad, part goes bad. I've, I've changed out a part here and there, but nothing inspired me to build a pedal. But what's funny about that is, uh, what is your favorite pedal? That's a good question. And, you know, I got asked this on, we were talking about earlier about me being on other, other channels. Somebody asked me what was my favorite amp, pedal, and guitar. And what's funny about it was I answered it, and that's what happens when you're live. You just answer a question, thinking for the five seconds you have to think. And I think I said I wouldn't even pick a pedal. I would pick, like, my Mark V Mini and then my Princeton. And, uh, and one of those two amps and then, like, a Strat or something like that. After further thinking about it, after that question, because that's what happens. You have time to ponder. So it's, your question is actually was asked a couple weeks ago on another channel that I was on. And so now I've had time to ponder this question. Uh, I have an answer for you that's actually more accurate than the one I gave there. If I could have one amp and one pedal and one guitar, which is not your question, but I'm going to give it to you because it's the one pedal. It would be, I'm looking right now, it would be the Dirty Shirley Mini. Of course, I need a cabinet but I'm assuming I get the cabinet, right? If not, I guess I get a combo. But I would take my Dirty Shirley Mini, my Lawrence Petros 87 pedal, and Nathan's Custom 24. And I, I, I mean, I put, I mean, so like unlike the normal 
live experience that we're having right now where you guys ask me a question and I kind of have to pull from the five seconds I have that you give me to think. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you can't let me sit here for 10 minutes thinking about a pondering a question. I have pondered this. I mean, literally hours. I'm not exaggerating. Sitting at the side of the pool in the backyard, uh, probably drinking a beer or some kind of beverage, maybe a Diet Coke. I don't know or something. But anyways, I was drinking something and just thinking about it. That's what it is. Um, that's what it is. That pedal, that amp, and that guitar. I And so much so, I even played around messing with amps and guitars. So I think that's what I would pick. Now, in a year from now, ask me again. Maybe it's a different time. But right now, that's definitely what I'm prepared to do. And it's because I figured out I could get everything I need out of those. The Dirty Shirley gives me the vintage sound I need. It gives me a clean sound I like. Uh, it, it does everything I need. Uh, I, in fact, I have a new Friedman amp, but I can't even say that amp yet because I haven't, I love it, but I'm in honeymoon right now, but I'm the dirty shirt I've had for over a year or longer. And the 87, same thing I've had for a long enough time to know that I'm comfortable with it. And Nathan's guitar, just because, Hey man, my friend made me that guitar. And if I do like a guitar a little bit more than that, it's only for some stupid reason. Like maybe I just like the way it feels a little bit more. Something's just maybe something more, but there's no way that I'm ever going to have a connection emotionally like I do with that guitar. So, okay. What else? Look <laughs> at the next question. Let me take a drink of water while I, while I think and look at these questions. Nick. Nick S says, hey, Phil, just came across a 2013 Gibson 70s Tribute SG with dirty finger pickups. Good condition for $800. Worth it? Any experience with them? Lots of experience with them. Obviously, the Tribute Series stuff is very common in the Gibson realm. Um, you know, it's tough now, man. It's a tough thing asking me what stuff's worth. It's all over the place. <laughs> it's literally all over the place. Um, I highly, highly suggest buying Gibson tribute stuff. There is definitely, and I've said this before, there's definitely a proof of that. If you want proof that tribute stuff has value, uh, look at my 2 million viewed Sam Ash video. That's from 2000, I think 16. It's one of my first videos. I go into Sam Ash and I buy a Gibson tribute. P90 Les Paul, 400 bucks. That video is riddled with comments. Oh, this is a fake video. He can't buy that guitar, $400. Literally at the time of that video, the going price of the guitar, high, and it was normal, $500, <laughs> right? The guitar was selling all day for $500. Finding it for four, it was a deal, sure. But I mean, you could find one for four anywhere. It just, it was cool. I found one, it was four. Now that guitar, $800, like your guitar, to $1,000 for a P90 Tribute gold top. Everybody's like, oh, it's planted. They planted it. And then they don't look at the date. <laughs> so if you look at the date, let me tell you, when that video came out, go look on the internet, do a little research, you'll find exactly what I'm saying. That guitar literally was, I bought a guitar for what they were going for. Like I said, maybe, maybe $1,500 less, maybe. So what's that? 10 to 20% below the high end on the market. Um, and now it's worth eight. There you go. Or more. So yeah, we do know they go up. Tributes go up. Why? Because here's the thing. Gibson in Gibson's just have value. They say Gibson it starts there. Doesn't matter after that. Everything else is another reason why it holds value, but the Gibson logo has as 
has is bulletproof. I've just come to this conclusion. <laughs> Here's why it's bulletproof. Think about the entire history of Gibson. Still one of the best brands out there, best performing brands, sought after brands. It's, it's bulletproof. It's a brand that is just people want. And so there you go. Um, to this date, I still talk about this. I have more Gibson guitars than any other brand of guitar. By far. It's not even, I don't want to say it's not a close second. I can tell you exactly. So, you know, I have more Gibsons. The most amount of guitars I own are Gibsons. Then after that, I think it's PRSs. But if it is, it's by one. Because I think it's either tied or one more than I have Fenders. And then Fender is one or two more than I have Ibanez. And after that, I don't only have like one of any kind of particular brand. But like if I talk about brands that I own a lot of guitars, Gibson is by far the most. Not Almost by double what I have PRSs. Almost. Um, and all over the place. Just so with Gibsons. I have, I have lower end price Gibsons and I have higher end ones. Um, I don't have a tribute, but like behind me right now, you can see that's a Gibson SG uh, with two P90s. It's not a very expensive guitar. That guitar, when I got it, probably used was probably worth 800 bucks at the time. I don't know what it's worth now. Probably 800 to 1,000. I mean, it's probably, but yeah. So there you go. Yeah, so, a lot of people echoing Gibsons, uh, Fender PRS is the big three. Somebody said Gibson Investments. I mean, of course, you're going to people like, I hate Gibson, screw Gibson, they can suck off and die. Yeah, of course, everybody's going to say that about all kinds of brands. That's an opinion, doesn't make it wrong. That's an emotional response, doesn't make that inappropriate. However, factually speaking, those guitars hold value, <laughs> which is why sometimes I buy one. So, you know, I bought a Gibson today. <laughs> it's, I'm not even making that up. <laughs> I literally bought a Gibson today. So, uh, in fact, since I'm being telling you, when I said, when I started the show saying, I'm sorry, guys, I was running errands, that's the errand I was running. I was going to pick up a Gibson that I bought. I had to go pick it up. So, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, buy a Gibson. I don't think you'll regret it. Uh, 800 bucks is the only thing I can't tell you, man. Uh, it sounds like what's probably what they're worth don't know, you know, but you know, uh, more, uh, more accurate than me is going to be the market. So go on reverb, uh, look at sold auctions, uh, you know what they sold for, go to eBay, look at sold auctions. You'll get a sense of that. You'll get a sense of what, what I, I I'm seeing it more and more. So, you know, I'm seeing more and more where you're looking at prices online through reverb and eBay. And you're like, man, three grand, that's crazy. Or $500. That's nuts. And then you look at complete auction. There's nothing selling for that price. They're just listed at that price. So be, be aware you can. And, and so that's what I'm saying. If there's 10 of those guitars listed for 800 bucks each, that doesn't still doesn't mean that's what it's worth. It's worth what you're willing to pay for it. One. And it's also decided by what other people paid for it. Cause that kind of leads up. Cause obviously if somebody's willing to pay it and you're not, they're going to get it. So just uh, do that and you'll be fine. But yeah, definitely cool. Uh, dirty fingers are good pickups. Like I said, I'm a big fan of Gibson pickups as a whole. Um, to the point where, like I said, I have, I've, I've never, and again, it's just my personal thing. I have, uh, told you I have more Gibsons than the other guitar. I have never replaced a Gibson pickup with another brand pickup. Every Gibson I have, I can't say they all have stock Gibson pickups. That's not true. Um, I have replaced Gibson pickups, but only with other Gibson pickups. And it's only usually because maybe I like one type of pickup over others. I tend to, my ear tends to gravitate towards, uh, 57s, the 57 classics. I like those sometimes. So I like them in some guitars. I like the burst buckers, not huge fan of burst bucker pro, but I like them. Okay. But I like the burst buckers more. Um, I like, uh, the 490 T is that it? 490 T, right? 
you know, like I said, and Dirty Fingers, I've, I've had good luck with them. Uh, I What's in my SG with uh, is something 60s. Again, remembering all this stuff is just after a while becomes just numbing. <laughs> it's for, right? Uh, I wish everybody would just name. No numbers. Just every pickup should just be a name. Just makes it easy. Uh, and then, of course, lots of comments now. I'm seeing the sections. I love my gold top. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's, there's, there, there, there is way worse things you can do with your money than put them into a Gibson. That's, that's, that's my feeling. That's what I do. I'm not giving you advice. I'm not saying invest in, in Gibsons. I'm saying there's worse things you can do with your money. Oh, thank you. Uh, so uh, Shady MD said, oh, what do you think of the 61 RT? That's what's in my SG. Um, I like them, but when I did the video with uh, Ralph and he has the same get, uh, SG as me, just different color, he had 57s in his. I thought his sounded better than my guitar. And the comments in that video echo that sentiment. I didn't say that in the video, by the way. I don't think I did. I think I read the comments and I'm like, yeah, I agree. So I'm just saying it's got... It got you know, I'm, I, I like them, but I think I like the 57s. I did not change them out, though, because I have 57s in another guitar. You know, sometimes I want them to be a little bit different, <laughs> so I don't want to make them all the same. Yeah, and Grumpy Mike Guitar says, I have to admit, I really like Burst Buckers. I do, too. Burst Buckers are a really funny thing. I did a video, like, five things you don't know about the Gibson, and I talk about the Burst Buckers. Uh, when you learn about Gibson pickups, one of the things you learn is sometimes we, we you know, names kind of color what we think and burst buckers like oh i don't like high output pickups i'm like actually they're low output pickups they're actually very vintagey they're it's kind of funny so uh <laughs> yeah nick says if you think pickup numbers are bad computer parts are a whole different level of number hell yeah but see here's the thing and i agree with that but here's the thing that you shouldn't you're not usually passionate about that kind of stuff you know what i mean you, you need that stuff it's important so you don't mind you know i need a 562 34 d42 whatever and you're like okay cool but you know sometimes it's just not cool like what do you like oh i like 61s <laughs> you know i want to be like you know i don't know to have have a cool name like angel pickups paints a picture doesn't it what does it sound like? Like angels. <laughs> that's the tone I was going for. Or, man, that's not the tone I'm going for. I'm in a death metal band. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> what are we doing? We got to get to Ross. Ross's question says, I have a Fender jazz bass and P bass. I want a third bass. <laughs> should i get a music i was gonna laugh because i'm like i knew i knew he was gonna ask this should i get a music man stingray or a specter bass uh so i i'm horrible at this because um i like music man basses when i say i like them i like i like them on the wall at the stores um they play great they sound amazing and everyone i've ever picked up personally has been 600 to 650 pounds so i always put it right back I'm not a big fan of that, of the weight on those. Uh, so if that doesn't bug you and you don't mind, you know, maybe you maybe you want to lift it above your head a few times a day and get a little workout, or, uh, then you can get, go for it. I'm not a big fan of the weight, but I love the way they sound. Um, 
so that's why I'm telling you that because there's nothing I'm telling you, I have nothing against them other than silliness, which is that, um, but, uh, or the Spectre. Well, the Spectre, I play a Warwick base, uh, Warwick, uh, a base is a, I have a custom model Warwick base that I play. Um, and, uh, it's a Spectre licensed instrument. So a lot of people, when they see my work, they think I have a Spectre cause it looks like the Spectre base, but it's Warwick licensed that design from Spectre. Um, and that's what I play. So I, that's why I'm telling you that. Cause I'm obviously, I don't want to be like, get the music man, even though I kind of own the Spectre. Um, but uh, for me, it's not a sound thing. I don't have the Warwick slash Spectre bass for a sound. I have it because it's the bass I've been wanting since, you know, I was like 18 years old. <laughs> uh, for some reason, Spectre basses, like, I mean, I love Flea and he had a music man and, and you know what I mean? But I mean, for some reason, it was like Rachel Boland from Skid Row. There was just a ton of bass players that had Spectres. I think the bass player from Alice in Chains had a Spectre. Like, I, I just remember on MTV, every cool bass player I thought was cool had a Spectre. I th- even Nikki Six, I think, had a Spectre, right? I, I mean, I, I know he used the Gibson all the time, but I think he had a Spectre too. I think I remember him having a white one. Um, Doug Wimbosh, you know, uh, Spectre. Just every, I feel like every time I saw somebody cool, I was like, oh, man, they have a Spectre. <laughs> so I was like, I want a Spectre. And, uh, so that was like a lifelong dream to get that. And, uh, so I did it, but I got a Warwick because, you know, uh, I like Warwicks too. And to me, it was like, just pick one. And also Spectre doesn't make the bass that I have. In fact, Warwick doesn't make the bass I have as a production bottle. That's why I say it's custom. When I say it's custom, I don't mean I pick the color and stuff. Mine is specifically different than anything Warwick makes as a production model. You have to buy it custom. So, uh, so that's my answer on that. <laughs> Curtis did a super chat for no reason, man. Uh, thank you. Uh, I Freeman one says, Hey, Phil, uh, I have practice amps, black stars, uh, fly spark. Okay. So he's got the black star fly and a spark. He says, uh, what, what amp would I have when I started getting pedals? What? <laughs> I'm going to back up. This is not making sense to me, but I understand. So basically we got Blackstar Fly. That's a little battery practice amp. It's awesome, by the way. If you ever need a battery practice amp, still my favorite one to this day. They even have one in fluorescent green now, and they have Devil Leopard's graphics on one. Don't they have like ACDs or Kiss on another one? It's like cool stuff. He says, and he has a Spark, which is, again, another very good amp. Uh, as as you know, everybody's decided. Spark's like the new Katana, and the idea new meaning everyone's like, toting it but it's because it's like the katana it's a very good for what it is it's a great amp for the money um it says what amp should i have when i start getting pedals so he's saying i get what the question now i had to read it again so he wants to know what wattage amplifier should he get when he's uh, starting getting pedals um i use pedals through the spark i have no problems just use that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's that that's what I would do. I I don't even know if I would worry about getting um you know you don't have to worry about a wattage what I'm trying to tell you. Just buy an amp. The pedals it won't matter. The wattage is going to detect de- depict how much how loud the amp's going to get. But not necessarily how good the pedals are going to sound unless you're cranking the amp. And let me dive in that for one second just to make sure. Somebody said, Fox and the Hound says 100 watts minimum. Yeah, look, you can take a 5-watt or a 1-watt tube amp. Perfect example. Take the 1-watt uh, tube Blackstar amp or the 1-watt Marshall amp or whatever. Take a 1-watt amp. You can stick pedals in it. And playing in your bedroom, it's going to be fine. So the wattage has to do with what you need it to do. So you can run it through a 3-watt amp, a 50-watt amp, a 100-watt amp, a 10-watt amp. Don't. I wouldn't worry about that stuff. Um, 
So there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. It's really scrolling right now. I'm trying to try to grab a. Uh, Vince's question says, Phil, I really like the review you did on the PRS SE hollow body two Paizo. Uh, he said, thank you. Did you say, he's asking me if I said that the Paizo uh, is going to be improved on the core model. No, I don't think it is. That's what I'm saying. It's, it was improved according to Jack Higginbotham, COO of PRS who, who runs SE. They improved the Paizo system for the SE model. And I don't remember if I specifically asked him this question or if I just talked about it, alluded to it, but I talked about, you know, updating the core and I just got, he didn't seem to know because he doesn't run core, he runs SE. But the impression I got was no. Um, the hollow body core guitars take forever to make. I think it's like a 16 month waiting list or some crazy thing like that. And maybe it's longer now. They're, they're, they take a while. So, you know, and... They don't make a whole lot of them. So I don't think there's a whole lot of effort to really want to change or improve that instrument in any way. You know what I mean? The old saying, don't, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If they're, if they're selling and they're on a back order list, is it pr improving it a priority? I don't think so. Uh, Nostro, Nostro, like Nostradamus, Nostro 1001 said, uh, Doug Wimbosh is such a great bass player and he barely gets any mention. Excellent shout out there, Phil. Yeah, of course. Dude, he's amazing. And yes, well, first of all, this is a conversation I had a week ago with a bunch of friends. Living Color is a band that isn't getting any credit. There's another band that's fantastic, fantastic band. So if you're not a fan, I understand, but I'm a huge fan. Fantastic. Super underrated. And in my opinion, really never got the credit they deserve. Um, and again, I'm just looking at anything that's relative to what we're talking about before I go on to the next thing, which I'm going to do. All right. So now we're going to go to Seb 37. He did this. Uh, he sent me a picture. I just want to share it with you. It's a picture of a, like a, it's a weird thing, eat, drinking a cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm sure you see it. It's in the chat. It's, it's a super sticker. I just, it's very cool. Thank you. Uh, Grumpy White Guitar said, for the tone jar and why not? That's his, that's his slogan, by the way. It's like, know your gear. And he's like, and why not? Uh, and he says, I'm kind of curious about the blue bass over your left shoulder. Not sure if I've seen that one before. So blue bass over my left shoulder would be to, is the Stuham Urge model. This is a 32 inch scale bass. This is a proto type, uh, one, uh, I think, no, I think I just don't remember the exact details. Um, it's a urge bass. It's a, so Stuham was the first artist bass player to get a signature instrument with uh, Fender and I think a full design because it, it's based off of some stuff that, uh, Phil Kubicki did if you guys know you know kabiki bases back in the day he left uh, he was had kabiki bases i think Stu ham when he went from kabiki to to fender i think phil kabiki went with him and started designing stuff for fender again doing off memory sure you can google wikipedia and get the whole synopsis of everything but this is just a general uh, guide over um it's uh i only own currently i mean i i've had like four or five bases and that's it for years i currently own three that's it my custom shop 
Warwick that was made specifically for me, my custom Fender that I've had since 2003, and this Stu Hammerage bass. And literally, I play uh, them, but I like I said, I play mostly my one Fender bass all the time. <laughs> so, because uh, I play every day, and that's, that's the bass I play every day. Um, but yeah, I, I have, I don't know if I have a video... Um, I'm sorry. I don't know if I have a video specifically about the urge base. I probably do, but I definitely have videos where it's in there and I've talked about it. But now you think about it, maybe I need to do, I know it sounds silly, but maybe I want to, I want to do it. I think maybe I want to do a five things you don't know about the urge base because it is a different base and it's got a unique story. Never thought to do that before until you, until you just mentioned that. Thank you, grumpy Mike. I might do that now. Look at this. I've already created two new videos I have to do from this show. James, James, he says, can you describe your process for selling on reverb when an item has sat for a month with no bites? I started with no offer button and a fair price. Okay. So here's the tough part, James. First, um, I don't list anything on reverb. Somebody does it for me. So that's kind of cheesy, right? Secondly, uh, from what I understand, everything sells with like an hour to 24 hours. That's the benefit of having a YouTube channel. So obviously I can't advise, Hey, get a YouTube channel, try to figure out how to get 300,000 subscribers and then put a, U then, you know, and maybe you'll sell stuff in a minute. That's just silly advice, right? That wouldn't help you. So here's what I would tell you what help helps you. Um, I personally, as a, as a buyer on reverb, and, and, and often purchasing a reverb. Um, I find that, uh, you know, here's, there's a couple key things to the listing. We've talked about what you should do to sell and, and stuff. Let's talk about the listing. First is be accurate in your description is of course an obvious one, but also take the time to actually put a description. Dude, how many times I'm going to go on tangents, James, but you'll get all your information. I promise. How many times are you guys freaking sick of this? How many times have you clicked on a $3,000 guitar, $500 guitar, whatever the hell it is. And the description is like three words, <laughs> right? Like 89 Gibson Les Paul. And you're like, what? Like nothing, no information, no, like, how the frets go and what condition are they in? <laughs> right? Nothing. Uh, so be, be uh, descriptive is what I'm trying to say. Try to cover some key points. Uh, if it's an amp, if it's a guitar, uh, you didn't say, so we'll just cover all things. Look, it, and don't copy paste. That's new, new information. Everybody does that too. That's not helpful. So like when you copy, when you go to Sweetwater Guitar Center and you find the product you're selling used and you copy paste the, 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 literally it's called copy, the copy that, that the manufacturer wrote, that's useless information that you're buying it used. You need to know specific what is about that used guitar, not <laughs> <laughs> what that product line is about. Like, you know, I, I, again, I'm just going to go over my pet peeves. This will help you with what you shouldn't do, because I'm sure there are a lot of pet peeves out there like mine, where I'm like, I click on a used guitar, let's say a used American Strat. And the first thing in the sentence is the American Strat was uh, introduced in just blah, blah, blah. And it's like the fastest selling line in visitors history. And it's some Wikipedia page crap or something they grabbed off the Finner website. So definitely just put information about the guitar here's here's a guideline that will help you anything you can't show in a picture or you feel isn't coming across correctly in a picture describe that so for instance if you have a picture of this guitar right here and obviously from this looking at this guitar this prs that i'm pointing at 
you can't tell what pickups in here. Please put what pickups are in there. You can't tell, right? You, you know, it would be nice if you labeled the color. When anything that's important that you feel might make somebody return it if they don't know, like it's got a dent in the back of the neck. That's important information, even if it doesn't come in the picture. Um, you know, so, I mean, like I said, put that information, be as detailed as possible. The more detail, I think the better you're going to sell the guitar because the more you look like you gave a crap to sell it, the more you're putting somebody at ease to buy it because they know for the most part, they're protected from reverb. In other words, if you send them something and it's not what you described, they can send it back. But who wants to go through that hell? <laughs> right? The, uh, yeah. And uh, Gary's saying blurry pictures bug me. Right. I mean, come on, man. Everybody has a phone. You can't hold the phone still for a second. <laughs> Tampa blue says, change your name to Phil McKnight. That might not help you. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but anyways, uh, the, the, um, the important part of this is like I said, be descriptive, uh, with your, your product and, and give details as much detail as possible. That will help. Also, um, the other thing you can do is sometimes tell people if it's relevant, please, again, if it's relevant, why you're selling it, it sometimes matters. Most time, not like, you know, you don't have to say like, Hey, I bought this and I thought it sucks. <laughs> you can, you know, you can be like, you know, Hey, I'm selling it because, you know, I'm getting another guitar that sometimes again, puts people at ease. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, oh, okay. It's not, I'm selling it cause it's horrible. Especially, especially if you're selling it for a legitimately good reason, tell people that like, I'm selling that to pay my taxes. I'm selling this to buy another amp. I'm selling this to this thing that helps me as a consumer understand like, oh, okay, why would, you know, if it's so great, why would you let it go? That makes sense. Um, if that, uh, you know, and then also cause I'm giving good advice. If, you're selling it because you do hate it. Well, then don't say that. Just don't say anything because <laughs> they don't need to know the bad information. Just if you have good information, make sure as it, make sure they know that. Um, uh, Fox in the Hand says, uh, show the serial number or it looks shady. Uh, again, we've had this conversation before on the show where the showing, I show serial numbers. I could give two craps. Uh, people blur them out all the time. I've heard a thousand reasons why. It's up to you. Again, I, I, that is, uh, not so much thing I'm going to give you advice on, right? I'm going to tell you what I do. The serial number is always disclosed in the picture. So there you go. Um, <laughs> David says you can name your shop Phil McKnight's friend shop. These are great suggestions, but maybe not so great suggestions as I'm saying. Uh, so that's things you can do. Now, uh, the other thing back to your comment again, uh, uh, James is you said that you start with no offer button. Always start. Look, if you're going to take, if you're willing to take an offer, put an offer button. Simple, right? And sometimes you're like, well, I'm not going to take an offer. This is the price I want. But later I put the offer button. I guess that if that's what you're willing to do, do it. Like I said, don't just do it because, you know, you know, just because the offer button is there. Like you said, you start with the offer button and a fair price. Nothing wrong with that strategy either. However, keep in mind, here's the problem. When stuff sits for a long time, fair price is not always the right statement. In other words, I understand what fair price means. It means you're being reasonably minded, right? You you paid this, you think it's worth this, and if somebody's, you know, but the sad thing is you don't get to decide what anything sells for. Somebody decides what they're willing to pay for it. That's the real that's the real life there. So, if it's um 
if you're listing it and it's sitting and sitting and sitting and you're like, hey, it's a fair price, but no one's buying it, it's not so much that it's an unfair price, just no one's going to pay that. So that's a realistic thing. But the this gives me the second uh, the piece of advice is important. It's just something I think. One freaking thing I hate about Reverb when it comes to listings is you if you take a listing off and you repost it because it's not selling, they go back and retro to the original date you listed it. I, I I don't know what it is about Reverb. eBay was never this bad, but Reverb seems really bad with this. The longer something is on Reverb, it's like the less it's going to sell. I've just, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it won't sell once it's been on there, but the longer it sits, the longer it's not going to sell. And the longer you're going to have to deal with somebody sending you offers that you didn't even ask for. Like you said, you don't have an offer button, they're going to email you. So reason I'm telling you that is if I put something on Reverb and let's say they came to me and they said, hey, Phil, I listed it because I have, you know, like I said, somebody does it for me, which is very, very kind of them because I, I just don't have time to do that stuff sometimes. So I have people help me. I have friends and family. It's okay. Uh, and they'll say, hey, it's not selling. Um, instead of adjusting the price, we do that sometimes. But a lot of times we take it down and repost an entire new listing. And a new price, but an entirely new listing. Now, if you have a price and you decrease the price, Reaver will tell people it's been discounted. And sometimes that's good because people go, oh, it discounted. I'm going to get it, especially if people have been looking at it. But sometimes if you have something listed and you decrease it after like three weeks... Most the vultures come in. Everybody just goes, well, well, they went from a thousand to eight hundred. Maybe they'll do six, and then you're just going to get lots of low well offers because you've invited that problem by decreasing your price. So sometimes that works, but my experience is if you decrease your price and you're not, and it doesn't sell within 24 hours of decreasing your price, 48 max. Go ahead, take the listing down. Take you don't have to take new pictures, but you have to create a new, entirely new uh, uh, listing and then relist. So, so there you go. Um, and then it's just cause it, it segues into this uh, same conversation. Ray M says, have you ever sold something using PayPal? I have many times, uh, with great success, but like I said, I read people more so than situations. And almost every time I've used PayPal, not only do I trust PayPal as a service, the person I was dealing with was either A, somebody I knew or somebody I had a sense of and I felt confident in my personal, uh, like, you know, judgment to go, yeah, this is something I want to do. I want to do this. Okay. So, yeah, I haven't had a problem with it. John says, people ask me why I'm selling and I always say money. <laughs> that's exactly it. You know what I mean? What, how, what, that's a great, great comment. I love that comment. If somebody said, yeah, I'm selling this because I need money or I want money or there, I need, right? It, 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 like yeah, everybody understands that, right? Some people just say it thin in the collection. Totally understand. We've all been there, right? What what happens sometimes when the, it's the saying, right? To be too good to be true. Sometimes you buy an instrument and you list it because, you know, it's and it's a hot ticket and the price is great. Like you said, you put a fair price on it. Think about what you're doing and how it actually hurts you, even though you did nothing wrong. You take good pictures. Let's say you followed my uh, advice. OK, so let's go back to this. Uh, so, James, let's say you followed all the tips I gave you. You take good pictures. You put a great description. You put a fair price. It's perfect. You, beg, you, you can become, not always, but you can become a victim of, unfortunately, that. I, you know, somebody looks at it and goes, wow, great price, great looking instrument. Wow, perfect. You know, he says it's in great per condition. Ah, too good to be true. <laughs> so sometimes saying I'm selling it because I'm thinning the herd or uh, I'm after something else or I just need money or I just want, you know, whatever. 
it lets people know you stating that means that you're not stating the other thing, which is uh, this guitar plays funky or has problems or makes a weird noise or whatever it is that you're having a problem with. Um, you know, when you're buying used, you know, they're saying sometimes when you buy used, you're buying somebody else's problems. That's what you're trying to eliminate when you're doing the purchase. So those are all things I would suggest to you. And again, I don't know if these are great suggestions, but they're definitely things I follow. And uh, they've helped me. Pre-YouTube world, when I sold on YouTube, our, that's why I said it's no help to you. Pre-YouTube, when I was a YouTube person, whatever that is, uh, I on Reverb, I would sell through my store, my physical retail store. So, I mean, it's, again, it's, you know, it's not like we paid attention to anything. You know what I mean? It's different. When you're selling stuff personal, it's a much different experience. Uh, you're paying attention to it. When you're a store, you list like 500 things and then think every day something sells. You don't really think about like, oh man, this thing hasn't sold. What are we going to do? It's just after a while, if something hasn't sold, which does happen, you just discount it and you move on. No emotional attachment, no need to recoup cash, just, you know, doing your thing. Shut up, let's talk says, what up, Phil? What's your favorite riff you use as your guitar tester and why? Uh, a great question, is good, especially since guitar tester. And it would depend on if I was testing clean or dirty, right? Like a dirty sounding amp or clean sounding amp. And um, I, I don't have a riff. I have dozens of riffs that I've learned... Uh, that for not I, so some people probably have songs that they like yeah right like i play this song every time or i play this you know this thing or a song you wrote or a riff you wrote i have riffs from just like okay when i want to hear if this amps metal enough i do this metal style riff if i want to hear if this is blues enough i do a blues riff so i have some riffs that i just kind of follow and do uh very rarely are they actual songs that I'm playing to chat test at a piece of gear. But yeah, I do have different riffs, but I mean, I have a lot uh, of different ones, uh, at least a dozen or so. And I, I'm just throwing numbers out of my head, but I mean a lot because uh, I test a lot of stuff <laughs> and I want to see how it captures that sound. And I would love to interject like, but me, me personally, when I'm buying something for myself, what do I do? Same thing. It's just because I've learned to test everything. That comes from like new product comes in your store and you were testing it and you want to see that to, you know, checking out stuff and YouTube demoing now. It just becomes a thing. So um, I do I do have some songs that I like to play, right? Maybe some extreme pornography type songs off that album. I'll play some Bowling for Soup stuff I like. I'll play some John Mayer riffs because it's like everybody who's basically over the age of 40 has to play a John Mayer riff. <laughs> it's 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 funny isn't it it's just like a thing <laughs> i'm not saying people under 40 don't play it because they do i'm just saying it's like a thing it all of a sudden it's a thing we all just do it i do it too it's like i think i think at the core of it when i try a product oh you know what and that's probably the answer to your question that would make the most sense if i try testing a piece of gear 
I probably play the closest, if I know the actual riff or the song, I play that, but if I don't, I play the closest thing I can to the thing that I connect to that piece of gear. So a good example would be like, if I plug into a Dr. Z amp, I might go for like my most country lick kind of sound, right? Because I like the Dr. Z's, but I kind of think of Brad Paisley and I think of Dr. Z. You know what I mean? If I'm playing a clean amp, you know, I'm trying to get that smooth, bluesy, clean tone, I might try to pull a John Mayer riff out of my 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 repertoire or whatever. Um, and if I pick up my Ingle, I, I might p- play, you know, uh, some Avenged Sevenfold right away or something like that. Something that I that I like to play, but it's also something in that vein of that type of amplifier, even though I'm not saying, I don't think Avenged ever played a, a Ingle, but that's something, a riff I like to play. So yeah, I'll I just line up the, the riff to the closest thing that I as, kind of a, associate that piece of gear to. So, and I associate a lot of, like a lot of players, I associate a lot of really smooth, clean tones to the John Mayer sound from the Continuum album. And as I always tell everybody, if you're not a John Mayer fine, fan, which is fine, please, uh, before you hate John Mayer and his sound and him, always make sure you got a chance to check out the John Mayer Trio or the Continuum album. Nothing else. Don't worry about anything else. Just those two. My guess is... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, if you haven't heard them, uh, that's what everybody's doing. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I just let you know, it's not about liking him or not liking him. I'm just telling you what it is. Everybody's trying to emulate. It's probably those two albums, the John Mayer trio and the continuum. That's what everybody's after that sound that likes him or likes his playing. Uh, Servando says, hello, Phil. If you had to pick between a SLO 30 and a twin sister, which would you choose? Thank you. I appreciate your insight. Literally, dude, seriously, you couldn't have picked two totally different amps from each other ever. (laughs) I appreciate the question. It's impossible to ask, so there's just no way. Here's why. So first, I really want a Saldano. Who doesn't, right? It's it's an iconic amp by uh, SLO30. I got to play when I have a video about it, and it's great. And I played it with Mike Saldano there. Fantastic amp. And they're in the same vein. They're in that both in the high $2,000 range, 2000, I think 27 for the SLO30 and 29 for the twin sister. The twin sister is more my lane in the idea of what I can use it for. I can get the blues, the rock tones out of it. I need the lower the lower gain settings, and then I can juice it with a pedal or just run a heavy gain pedal through the clean side of it. Uh, the SLO30, uh, it was the opposite effect. You can get the high gain sound of it. It has a great clean in that amp, by the way, but then I can run blues or rock pedals through the clean channel in that amp, uh, which is good. But me, let me put it this way. Uh, I'm not saying I'm buying a twin sister. What I'm saying is, if I'm buying one of those amps, the twin sister is the way I'm, what I'm going to buy before the SLO 30 and not for any reason, like I said, uh, but they're different, totally different amps, totally different. They, to me, they're not even the same sound range. They're different. So the reason I say that is that's what I would do for you. You need to figure out what you're looking for because the SLO is definitely metal. It's a metal amp, man. You're going, you're gone. Twin sister. That's your blues rock amp. No metal. Um, highest gain with a tube screamer or some kind of clon or some kind of boost pedal in front of it you're going to be in some really chunky cool crunchy rock metal light metal i don't know light metal dark metal tones but you're not going to get the same tones uh scott says do you have any experience using a neck press to straighten a neck 
I asked before and the, and a listener answered, but I was wondering if you had any experience. Um, to straighten a neck that doesn't have a truss rod, I assume what you're saying, because sometimes you have a truss rod, you can fix that, but very rarely do you need to steam a neck. I steam them like a classical guitar neck. Sometimes they don't have truss rods and we steam them and we have a jig. I, I don't, I, I know they have a, I know they have a neck press. I don't use it. I have a jig that we use and it works great. It's not something we deal with very often. The irony is this. I don't do, so in, in, when you do repairs, you tend to not so much specialize, but you tend to be known for certain things. I do a lot of repairs in a lot of categories, but the one category you don't see a whole lot is vintage acoustics. I could say I've done a lot of vintage guitars, electric guitars, vintage acoustics are definitely something I've done very little of. And why that's important to this question is you're going to do a lot of neck straightening on that type of guitar. A lot of guitars, acoustic guitars, because mostly acoustic guitars that need a neck straightening more so than electrics. I mean, I can't even name on one hand how many electric guitars I've seen that needs a neck straightened with any kind of anything other than the adjustments of the truss rod. It's mostly acoustics. Most acoustics that I've seen in my type of a repair cycle that are having that problem are not worth fixing. And when I say not worth, I mean the consumer won't do it. They're not going to pay me to fix a guitar that they bought new for $5.99. They're just not going to do it. You know, they're like, what's this guitar worth used? And I'm like, I don't know, 350 bucks. And they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to pay to fix that. So, uh, but yeah, I we have steamed and straightened necks many times, but... Uh, it's not as common. And again, and that's fine because again, I've learned this and this is why it's good since we're talking about this when it comes to repair. Sometimes uh, if you're in a conglomerate of repairs, I guess that's what I want to say. A bunch of repair guy, sh people, I shouldn't say guys because there's so many repair females now in the market and more so than I've ever, ever anticipated or thought I knew about. Um, and I know I've done a lot of videos lately with them. It's really, really, like I said, I, I always say guys, but I feel like horrible now because there's... It's really an equalized market out there. Um, my point to that is, uh, is that um, when you have a bunch of repair people in a in a shop, they can really full service the the repair cycle more because there's different things they specialize in. The problem with when you dive too much outside of the things that you're doing a lot of that are really successful, you slow down. See, like I hyper focus on like ten things, right? Maybe twelve different things that I repair. And that keeps me fast, which keeps customers happy because the turnarounds really quickly. Um, one of the things that that makes it really they do well is the fast turnarounds. The more you kind of go out of your you, those things that you're doing very well and very quickly, the more you slow back down again. Um, so Servanda's got a follow-up question. He says, uh, also, how would you compare the SLO 30 to the MT50? I've owned the MT50. Oh, sorry, MT15. Sorry, that's the Mark Trevani 15. And enjoyed it, but wonder if the difference is reflected in the tone. Um, you know, it's that, it, you know, you're talking about a $700 amp versus a $2,700 amp, basically, right? Let's let's just put that in perspective. SLO is $2,000 more. Do I think it's better? Uh, there's certain things about the SLO 30 that are nice. There's some sustain in it. You can kind of feel the way the amp has a quicker response. You definitely feel, and when I say feel, physically, you feel it and you hear there's better componentry in it. You know what I mean? There's certain things that are happening. They're just a little smoother, a little nicer. But do I think it's $2,000 better? 
Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, would I buy it? Because I like it? Yeah. But would I, like, literally, if I was happy with the MT-15, which I do like the MT-15, if I was happy with that, would I go, Adam, you're never going to be happy unless it's been this year two grand? No. I will tell you this. Something you can consider, though, is the new Archon 50, which is... It, I, I have it. I'm looking at it right here. I have the new Archon 50. I have the old Archon 50 because I own the old Archon. Uh, uh, Pierre sent the new Archon 50 out. I have not released a video. I've been batting this thing around like a like a ball of yarn with like a cat and a ball of yarn on this amp. Uh, what I can tell you with, is very briefly and very uh, you know succinctly succinctly is that I like the new Archon more than the old Archon as a whole. Which meaning if you if you if we Pros and cons list. The pros outweigh the cons on the new Archon 50. It's uh, the new ones made in Indonesia. The old one was assembled in the USA. Okay, that's cool. But the new one's made in Indonesia in the Cortec factory, but it's also $600 less. Same amp. So we see this all the time, right? They take manufacturing from the U.S. and they take it overseas, right? They go, okay, we made these amps in the U.S. We saw it with Ampeg. Ampeg made the amps in the U.S. and they took it to Vietnam. But the price stayed the same. We see that all the time. They, you know, Vox, right? Vox did this. But when Vox moved everything to China, uh, they did lower the prices. They averaged down the prices a little bit. When you see that, at least you you go, hey, look, they're going to a cheaper manufacturing cost, but they're passing savings to the consumer. I'm not saying that's a great thing. I'm just saying it's a lot better than when they don't. So the new Archon is $600 less than the old one. And it has all the features the old one has uh, it, that matter, which is... It has, you know, the same tones. It sounds good. It's got a little bit more low-end response. Um, it sounds more like the MT-15 than the old Archon did, although they sound damn close in the beginning, so this is just even more so. Um, the, uh, they added LEDs to it. The, other, the old one did not have LEDs, so now you know what channel you're on, which is another cool thing. Um, the things they took away didn't matter. They took away the power switch to take it from 50 to 25, but I never liked it in the 25-watt mode. You cut the switch down, like I've talked about this a million times, you cut this power rating down and it just thinned out the amp. It sounded horrible, so they fixed that. Um, so again, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the new Archon is a win in my mind so far, so far. Although... You know, it's also, it's $1,000. So like I said, it's a, it's less than the, the old Archon, but m the one they sent me has issues, blemish issues and stuff. I mean, there's things that you have to look at. Um, and so, I mean, like I said, I'll do the video and we'll talk about that. Uh, okay, let's get, let's button up these last questions so we can start our weekend. Uh, Castor, Castor, Castor says, if I bought $1,000 worth of Behringer pedals today and left them in boxes untouched, how much would they be worth in 20 years? Serious question. Um, well, you're talking about 5,000 Behringer pedals. So 1,000 bucks got to be all the Behringer pedals in the world, right? No, just kidding. 1,000 uh, bucks. Uh, I don't think they'd be worth anything. <laughs> That's what, In 20 years, what I think they'd be worth? Nothing. <laughs> don't do it. How about that? Don't do it. Uh, in fact, I could think of 10 things right now. I'd spend a thousand dollars on before I buy a thousand dollars worth of Behringer pedals. Um, if you buy a Behringer pedal new for 20 bucks in 20 years, what's it worth? Uh, it's unforeseen. Who knows? Uh, here's why. I mean, you could argue it could be worth more cause inflation, right? You know, you could argue it's worth less cause, but I wouldn't do it. It's a, it's a interesting question, but what I will tell you is, um, what I've seen is this, all the stuff that is cheaply made, that's made to hit a price point, 
I, I don't, it doesn't have to be Behringer. Take out Behringer out of this entire question and it fixes the question. 20 years ago, if you bought $1,000 worth of cheap pedals, what are they worth now, new in box? Well, let's see. Think of all the cheap pedals and how many people are be interested in if you said, oh, I don't know, like uh, sound tanks. You know, I've been in sound tank pedals. You're like, oh, I have $1,000 worth of sound tank pedals and they've never been used. You could put that on reverb and watch it rot. <laughs> They've gone up a little bit, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if you want to do it, it's great. But if you want my opinion, I would say don't do it. Uh, Les Paul is more, says, longtime listener. Uh, he says, I'm a great guy. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, says, have a great channel. Quick question, though. Uh, is there a trick to leveling frets on a Compound Reyes fretboard? Um, not a trick so much. Just everybody, you know, there's different ways to do it. There's a mathematical way to do it. I don't follow that way. I've never, uh, uh, you know, I, I, in fact, I watched, uh, I was in a facility once, and they were. I was watching them level the compound frets. Um, I don't. What I do is I take the flattest radius, whatever the bridge is radius at, and I'll just level off that. But but you can, so you know, go online and look. And I've done it both ways, and it just got, it gets silly after a while. You can't tell a difference um, on the compound radius. Look, there's different people versions of what people feel about compound radius. Like I watched Texas Toast. Those guys are pretty much, they think the compound radius, I think if I recall, and I don't want to misquote them, I thought they thought it was bupkis like it was nothing good right i don't give a crap about compound radius it's it's nice i guess but like literally i don't like i've never i've or, i've ordered a ton of custom guitars i've never asked for a compound radius that's one of those things like i never thought about it that way and then i look back going yeah every time i was given an opportunity like my custom shop strat that's behind me i could have had it any way i wanted and instead i ordered a 12 inch radius i just didn't i didn't go like nine and a half to 12 or nine and a half to 14 i didn't order it that way um, because it's not something I, I particularly care about. And I find most of my customers over the years don't, can't tell. Not because they're newer, not because they're, you know, they're not seasoned. It's just a lot of players can't tell. Some can, but most can't. So, uh, what I've learned for me is I radius to whatever the bridge is. So like, for instance, nine and a half to 12 and the, dr the bridge is radius to 12. I just radius everything, at, you know, our radius, the frets at 12, but our level, the frets, but Here's the thing about that. That's only if you have to have, use the radius sanding blocks. A lot of times when you're level frets, you don't have to do that. So I'm not worrying about that. I'm just following the contour of the frets. Again, it depends on what you're leveling, right? We're talking about fretting a guitar, then you got to use radius blocks, putting new frets in. A lot of times, I don't think I've actually, maybe I have. I don't think I have actually put frets in a, in a, radius neck i think almost everybody has me refret a neck usually the guitars are old. remember radius fretboards are not that old so usually when i'm refretting a neck the neck's pretty old so in most cases you can get around with just using your normal fret leveling beam and you don't have to radius anything you just follow the contour of the frets uh courier 11 seconds says i want to get into winding pickups and i'm in tucson do you know of anyone who might have a used winding machine uh, they might let go for, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I can tell you that you can get them from Mojo Tone. Those are really good ones. There's kit ones you can buy from Stu Mac. You can get all kinds on, you know, Amazon and stuff like that. You don't need a winder. Uh, I started like everybody. I started like everybody. Um, my first pickup I winded was, was a, was a drill. You just use a drill. <laughs> That's what I did. My first pickup I ever winded was that my first pickup I ever winded was a customer who's broke as a joke because we've all been there, had a guitar, and the 
pickup wasn't working and it was just one of those things like you know i was i wanted to repair this guitar they had no damn money to do to fix it with and so you're just there with the your your problem is you have this customer you want to take care of them how do i do this and then i i this the cheapest way i could do it was just take their pickup apart and just rewind it and put it back in and because that's something i could go okay let's just you know what's this what's wire cost me nothing let's do it um, and that was the first one I ever did. And that was uh, 20 years ago, maybe 18 years ago. And I did it and I was like, okay, there's, there's, okay, let's keep going. And so we, um, but, uh, yeah, so you don't need a winder. You can, you can do it with all kinds of things. They at least do it with sewing machines for Christ's sake. Um, but the new winders are amazing. If you've done it, I've done it now. I've, I've owned at this point, um, obviously besides the drill, I've owned a, um, a cheaper winder. And now I have like the Mojo Tone winder, which is my favorite. I just like it. There's probably nicer ones out there, but that's the one I like. I have two of them, and so I use the two that I have. I like them. Uh, Frederick says, hey, Phil, what are your thoughts on Seymour Duncan Little 59 versus Antiquity 55s for the Telebridge pickup? Um, I I have them, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't – well, wait. I have the Little 59. I don't have the Antiquity 55, so I can't tell you. I'm sorry about that. Um, so I can't speak to that difference. I don't know what the difference is. What I can tell you with the little 59 in the bridge pickup of a Telecaster, I like it. I like it a good amount. Um, I don't know why, but I like the chopper a little bit more from DiMaggio in that situation. Like there's sometimes where I just like Seymour Duncan pickups over DiMaggio's and there's sometimes why I like DiMaggio's over Seymour Duncan's. For some reason, the Tele bridge pickup, if you're going to put a Mihan Bucker, man, I just really like the chopper by DiMaggio. I think it really, cause sometimes tellies are a little, they're a little, they're determined to sound like a telly. A telly is a weird concept. You can put different pickups in it, but it merely wants to sound like a telly. Like everything you do, is going to get, still have that same tone. And so when you try to put a little 59, if you're trying to fatten up the sound, sometimes it doesn't go the way you think. And that chopper really will kind of thicken that guitar up, but it still sounds like a telly, but it man, it just says punch. Uh, Tony says, why is he talking about guitars on Friday afternoon? Oh, why is talking about guitars on Friday afternoon so cool? Asking for a friend. Um, it's cool because we didn't get to talk about them all week. <laughs> That's what it is, right? You know, all week we got to deal with all the other crap. <laughs> and today, today's, I always, I think I've made this joke before. It's like the, the Goonies. Today's our day. It's our time. <laughs> We're going to talk about guitars. Uh, D, D. Sharon says, uh, for the tone jar, uh, Gravedigger Dale says, is it weird? I wish my hands, oh, wait, is it weird that I wash my hands every time before I play? It's not weird. In fact, um, I wash before and after uh, I play guitar uh, always. Um, I wash my hands always because I don't like the soot and, uh, you know, the metal, the dirt that comes from the metal off the strings. It's always black and it's, uh, I don't know, I don't like it. Um, so I wash it off really a lot. But I wash my hands before because of that same reason. I don't want to, I try to keep my strings. As, I don't like changing strings. I think I've said this before. I'll do whatever it takes to not have to change strings. So I want them to last as long as I can. Um, so no, it's not weird at all. I do the same thing. Uh, Wu-Tex says, hey, Phil, uh, this is... For all your priceless business advice, I come to the show for that as much as I do for guitars. I wish you a great weekend. I wish you a great weekend. And I'm glad you enjoyed that. I, uh, uh, 
yeah, it's uh, it's part of the, you know, I like this weekly experience. I hope you guys do too. I Freeman's back. He says, hey, Phil, looking for a Gibson 335 type to add to the collection. Any sh- suggestions? Sub $500. Any thoughts on the Epi 339? So I, I have not played the Epiphone 339 in recent years since the new, uh, like, uh, inspired by Gibson series. I haven't tried those. Um, I tried one way back in the day. Not like it. Not the, three, uh, the 339. I didn't like it. The old Epiphones, I liked the 335. I didn't like the 339. I think it's because when I played the 335 Epiphone, I thought it vibed like a 335 Gibson, but the 339 Epiphone did not vibe like the 339 Gibson. Um, so that was my thing. Hang up on that. Um, but new guitars-wise, um, for $500, I don't know. I haven't tried the new Epiphone model yet. I've only played the old ones, but I've always been a fan of the old ones. You can pick up one of those used. I like some of the 335 style Ibanez's. I like those fine. Um, we, uh, I reviewed a Sire L7. Is that the L7? Yeah, L7. And I think I told you the owner reached out to me and said they would like to send some more guitars for review. I bought that guitar, as you guys know. I bought that guitar and reviewed it. And he said, hey, I really like the video. And he goes, could we you know, send you some guitars for review? And I said, sure. And they sent the H7. So I have the H7. I have not started the video on that because I, you know, I try to get familiar with a new guitar like that. I'm not familiar with it at all. And I don't know the price, so I can't suggest it to you. But so far, so good. Death Metal Dan. <laughs> That's a great name. Um, says, Phil, any experience with 12, 20-inch radius guitars? Got myself a PRS Holcomb SE, and it's nice to play. Yeah, I mean, obviously, classical guitars are 20-inch radius. Really, really flat. I didn't know the Holcomb was 20-inch radius, is it? I don't know if you're implying that or if it is. I never looked at the spec. I don't know if I ever played the Holcomb. I think... I've seen it. It's satin finish CE. Never look to see if it's flat, but that's flat. I like... I like 10 inch radius, which is like PRS. I like the 12 or inch radius, which is like Gibson. Nine and a half fender. I like all those. 16 is what's on a lot of Ibanez and the guitars. I like that. 20 gets really flat for me. <laughs> um, uh, so I have experience with them. 20 inch radiuses. All, um, I like them. Don't love them. But not not anything negative. No, no, like I wouldn't take a guitar if I had a 20 inch radius. Like now knowing the Holcomb has a 20 inch radius, there's nothing I would, I would be shocked if I picked up that guitar and I went, oh, unplayable. I've never picked up a 20 inch radius and went, this is horrible. I don't like this. I just don't need it. Um, I think, I think my, I'll double check. I think my Kiesel's 14 inch radius, this one right here. I remember I thought I tried that. And, uh, you know, like I said, like I said, it gets a little tricky. See, here's the thing. Seven and a quarter, nine and a half, massive difference. Massive difference in how they feel. Seven and a quarter, uh, uh, you know, to 10 or to 12, even more massive. Nine and a half to 12, a little bit of a difference. 12 to 16, it's a subtle difference. 16 to 20, it's almost non-existent. It's just a little flatter. So like I said, as things get flatter, that's why I said sometimes in the compound radiuses, it gets a little tricky. Like I... I used to, I used to do the Emperor's New Clothes thing, right? The story, right? You know, like, you know, he didn't know that there was no clothes. I would do that with Jackson's. Like, I remember Jackson came out and they were doing 12 to 16 inch radius fretboards. And I'd be like, it's compound radius. It's amazing. Compound radius. You know, you need a compound radius. (laughs) And then one day, it didn't even occur to me that I was lying to myself. I mean, seriously, I would play it. It was good. So it's good. So it means it's good because it's compound radius, right? It's compound radius and it's good. Makes sense that 
that's why it's good. Then one day it carded me out. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> they could be lying to me. <laughs> so I tested it. I'm like, oh, I guess they're not lying to me. So like I said, where I first noticed compound radius the first time where I was like, oh, that's different. Fender did a nine and a half. Because see, what happened was there was only, for a while, there was only Jackson was doing compound radius. And then when Fender acquired Jackson, it took many years after that. But then Fender started implementing compound radius into Fender guitars because, hey, they have Jackson. They have the, you know, they, they, they have it all set up to do so. Um, first time I noticed compound radius, like, I mean, notice it, like no one said it was compound radius. And then I was like, I think this is compound radius. That's the thing for me. Every time before that, somebody told me and I thought, okay, I feel it because you told me, or they didn't tell me and I didn't feel it the whole time, even working on it, unless I was checking things with actual gauges. But think about that for a second. You know what I mean? If you have to measure things or check things with a jig to know what it is, it's not that noticeable if you're doing it all day. So to me, the first time I heard it, or felt it was a Fender that had nine and a half to 14. And I think that wasn't the deluxe strat because I think the deluxes were nine and a half to 12. I think it was a second generation that they went nine and a half to 14. And I was playing one day and I just like, wow, this feels like I could tell this is radius. And that was more extreme. So that's why I say sometimes when we, we focus on things, there's just things that I, like I said, we talk about those specifications because it's important information in a world where you don't get to touch stuff and you want information so you can make educated decisions when you purchase online. But a lot of stuff, I try not to focus on it. If I'm playing it and it's fine, I don't worry about specifications. In fact, 90% of the specifications I talk about on my channel is just because I am communicate. I have to communicate to you guys information. But realistically, I don't ever go into a store and go, well, is this 20 inch? Is this 16? Is this, <laughs> I just, I pick it up and go, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> or, well, that's great. So, so yeah. Uh, Jimmy T568 said Highlander guitar. So that's, I assume that's the name of the store. He said, just ask my man, maybe media manager. He's talking about the media manager. What info he was, he's what? I have no idea. <laughs> he says Highlander guitar, which is the name of the store. So just ask my media manager. What info was he said? I don't know. He said real conversation prom promoted a tech for social media as beer on me. Thank you. I think I know where you're going with this. I'm just going to take the beer and say thank you because it's towards the end of the show and maybe I'm losing it a little bit because I get a little, you know, you get a little, two hours into this thing, you get a little, I get a little lost. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> All right. Uh, Gary Delvin, Delvin says, do you think Fender will continue with roasted necks in the Squire range? Seems like they might be hurting their own mid-range sales. Um, well, that's a perfect example. Fender is going to do exactly what it's done very successfully for many, many years, which is not hurt itself. It's going to find products that do well and do well in each category and refine that process. And like I said, we'll see the elimination of SKUs. Look, we were talking about, I was talking about a couple weeks ago about how you're going to see a lot of manufacturers probably eliminating SKUs and kind of thinning down those SKU lines. And obviously if you're paying attention to PRS, they've eliminated a lot of S2 SKUs. So there's, they don't make a lot of S2 guitars. Um, so that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of that stuff. So uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think roasting, doing roasted maple squires is hurting too much. I still, I still believe what I believed, uh, you know, years ago when I started this podcast and I would talk this way. I really believe people buy in the pro and the price point that they're comfortable buying, and it doesn't matter. So like, what I mean by that is, look, 
there's different, and I mean this with all the respect that, you know, because I, again, there's different, every, everybody's allowed to have a different opinion about things. Some people like fancy cars. I know I'm going weird with this, but just walk with me on it. People like fancy cars. And that makes them feel good, getting in a fancy car and driving down the road. Some people feel awkward in a fancy car. You know what I mean? You get in a fancy car and, you know, and like me, actually where I fall in line is not so much I feel awkward. I don't like attention in that area. Like, I don't like, you know, I mean, obviously it seems weird that I have a YouTube channel, but I don't like attention. I could try to be as anonymous as I can. So I don't want to be in anything that lets the people look, look at me. I want to be able to go somewhere and leave and not know, you know, no one knew I was there. So, um, I want to be anonymous. you right. So what I mean by that is same with the guitars are the same thing. Some people are like, yeah, you know what? I like the Squire and I don't care. And some people are like, some people are self-conscious about their Squire. They have a Squire and they're like, uh, I know. Cause I, I, People say it to me every day. I deal in a business of talking to people and they'll go, hey, Phil, I got this Squire. I know it's a Squire. It's not a Fender, but I like it. And I'm like, well, then like it. Don't apologize for it. Like it. I say that not because I think they have self-esteem issues and I'm trying to help them as a person. I'm telling them to remind them that, you know, I get that somebody has a hang up on that, but you know what? You know, enjoy what you enjoy and love it. So same same thing. I've said this before. I used to not play PRSs or even look at them because I thought they were like kind of a little pretentious. Like I, you know, everybody talks about, you know, certain things about PRSs, but for me it was like, Oh, only the rich people have PRSs. And and then I told you, I went, I have a video about this. I went to the factory and I, I realized like all the employees really care. And that was really cool experience to see that. And, And then I saw the company differently. I saw a bunch of people who like to make guitars and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so again, different, different, things. So back to the Squire line, I think it's smart that Squire keeps making the guitars get better. I think ultimately logos do have value. Like I said, we said earlier about Gibson has value. Gibson will always have a value point. Make a great Epiphone, make a great Gibson. People will decide if they want a great guitar and they want to save money or they want a great guitar and they want something iconic. In other words, something that has value in its perceived name and stuff. Nothing wrong with buying brand names for that. You know, and we know we see it all the time in, in the industry. We see they take, you know, Fords and turn them into Lincolns and they take Chevys and turn them into Cadillacs and Lexus. No, Toyotas into Lexuses. We see that the guitar industry is probably going to end up the same way at some point. At some point, you're probably going to pick up a Squire and not be able to tell the difference between that and a high end Fender American Strat. They're going to feel almost identical because you why they're almost identical now. And you'll decide. Do you want to spend $300 or $500 now for a damn Squire? Because it's getting up there. Uh, you don't want to spend $400 or $500 and get a Squire because you want this quality and this price point? Or does it matter that it says whatever it says, you know, in Cal- Corona, California or whatever, or that it says Fender on it? Does that matter? Or, you know, it's a little better and you're, you're fine with a little better. Like I said, it's interesting. So like I said, I think that's where it's all going to go. But I definitely think Fender will definitely, like you said, uh, your question is, will they adjust? I think so. If they see that they are cannibalizing sales, I've, I, as a Fender dealer for many years, seen Fender absolutely execute on that decision. In other words, if one product line is, is cannibalizing another product line, it, that, that product line goes away. That's an absolute thing that not only they do, but tons of companies. This is why I'm talking about PRS. I've been saying for the last few years, as this boom economy seems to be affecting the guitars, and when I say boom economy, I mean record sales and guitar sales. So again, wherever you are in the world, different economies, different worlds, but the reality is 
boom sales for 2020 boom sales and guitars as boom sales hit you're going to see companies like PRS go, okay, do we really need an affordable made in USA guitar to compete with our expensive USA guitars in this market? And you're going to watch them slide that down and go, no. And they're going to, because they're going to do exactly what everybody's going to do. Go, hey, if you want to save some money, get an SE. And if you don't care about what money, your money, you can spend whatever you want and you get the core. So I think that's going to happen. Because again, those S2s cannibalize cores. I believe that because in my personal collection of PRS guitars. It goes like this. My my favorite one is the one Nathan made me. Why? Because Nathan made it. Has an emotional connection. Okay, take that out of the equation. My next favorite is this old core guitar that I bought in 2013 that is the cheapest model they make. I love that guitar. I'm just bonded to it. My second favorite PRS in my collection is my S2 Semi Hollow. Again, another affordable-esque PRS. My high-end core model PRSs I have are not my favorites. Now that's personal. That's my personal interest. And it's just not, I'm not saying that series is better than the other series. I'm talking about the physical guitars I own. Those are guitars. And in keeping PRS guitars, those three I just mentioned would be the ones I'd keep. The rest would all go if I had to get rid of them. But this is why this is important. That is not the decision you want your consumer to come to. You do not want your consumer to go, oh man, I really love my $1,200 S2 way more than my $3,000 core. That is not good for your business model. So that's where they're going to get rid of it, I think. All right. On that note, we're going to call it. And I got a super chance to have a drink of water on me. I will. I will do that. Uh, and then, and then the, the, uh, the last one is Soul Fountain who said, how well would you do with a prank that involved a damaged guitar? Um, I am not prank culture. Sure, if I'd done stuff to people and had stuff done to me, like practical jokes, yes, I practical jokes, sure, of course. I like light ones. Um, but as far as prank culture goes, uh, I like jokes where everyone is in on the joke. I don't like it when it's, and it sounds, again, sounds like I'm trying to be like all like, I'm into everyone's going to be friends and everybody should be happy. It's not that. It's prank culture to me is dangerous culture because it goes, Sometimes, um, sometimes it goes wrong. So, uh, so anyways, so, so to the core of your question, how, how would I feel? Wait, what was the question? How would, how would I, how would you do with a prank that involved damaged guitar? Like if somebody told me, well, first of all, I can tell you right now, and Nathan, my friends that have been on the show can attest to this. I, they've seen me when a guitar gets damaged. I don't react the way anybody thinks. I just go, oh yeah, that happened. Uh, I hit that stuff hits me later. I don't go, oh man, oh this. I, I, I it's later. I'm just like I go quiet for like a day, um, while I process. So yeah, I wouldn't like react. Like if somebody dropped, like if somebody fake dropped one of these guitars off the wall and hit the floor and smashed, you, my I'd be like, yeah, that happened. That sucks. And then later is when I would react to it. So it wouldn't even work on me. <laughs> So, uh, Brian says pranks get, uh, paid back. It's called karma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I look, I appreciate the people that like that humor and I don't have a problem. I don't have a moral issue with it. Like I said, I don't want to be all preachy on people like, Oh, you shouldn't do it. Nah, do it. And if somebody did it to me, I'm just saying it would be like, eh, it, it, it wouldn't be the excitement. I I've seen that, you know, pr shows where they prank people and the people have this like hysterical reaction and people are laughing. The problem is, is that's not how I react. I react always very extreme. 
That's just my personality. What I mean by that is either I'm going to get really pissed and to, you're going to, usually people have some kind of emotional response to that. Cause you know, they're like, Hey, Phil's, I'm generally in a good mood and I'm easy going. So when I get pissed, not only is it a little shocking for people, it's shocking how pissed I get. Cause you know, like anybody, I'm, uh, uh, like a, like a volcano when it happens, like when I, I'll say, I want to leave on this note. So when like I said, my extreme re- reactions would either be, I wouldn't react at all, which is really extreme. Like I don't seem to care or I extreme, I extreme the other way where I go crazy. Um, and I'm just angry as hell. And I'm, you know, I, like I said, it shocks people, but here's why, uh, this is somebody said this once, uh, one of my friends said this once, uh, they said it's, um, I'm like a volcano when, I, when Phil gets mad, it's like, you know, you can tell it's been boiling up when I get mad at somebody, it's literally like, I'm not just mad at them. I'm mad at the last 50 people I didn't actually show that I was mad with. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Uh, but anyways, like I said, uh, but I, as long as everything's in good fun, I think you should do it. And then Samos says, no punking with guitars. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know. All right. On that note, uh, and on a slash note on prank, pranking, what I would tell you is I don't watch any of that stuff. So it doesn't appeal to me. But... Uh, like I said, I do have friends that love it and good, good for them. On that note, we're going to let you go. If I did miss a super chat, uh, I will make sure to scoop them next week. I apologize, but sometimes, you know, like I said, we've been on for a long time today. I want to thank everybody for joining me. Like I said, this Wednesday, as I click around screens, I'm sorry. Uh, this Wednesday, we'll be doing a bonus podcast earlier in the day. It'll be 1 PM our time, my time. Uh, so instead of 3 p.m. normal, and it's on Wednesday, so earlier, I'll give you guys notification of that and uh, and uh, look forward to that. And uh, hopefully we'll see some new faces and some familiar faces. When I say faces, I mean avatars and names. And until next Wednesday, uh, guys, have a great weekend. Enjoy and play some guitar. All right. Thanks for your time and know your gear.